Hello and welcome to this collaborative effort between the Lost Art of Wrestling and the Wrestlebox podcast. Um, it's sort of like settled on like Lost Art of Wrestlebox uh, for this um, special um, lockdown reviews, I want to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we can do, yeah. Uh, I am your host for this particular episode from the WrestleBox podcast and also featured on RAD Live and also the Phoenix Night Reviews on Lost Art of Podcasting. I am Lewis Ogden and joined with me today is the man who we labelled as not Daz in the group chat. It's Mr. Anthony Dark. Hello, yes, Mr. Anthony Dark, not Daz. It's my one and only quality in life. <laughs> one, about, well, one claim to fame at the moment. But, well, at know. the moment, yes. Yeah. At the moment, yes. How are we? Well, yes, hanging in. Just uh, very, very happy that these wrestling shows are being made available to us. Mm. Um, to uh, very happily pass, um, especially one such as this uh, G1 Supercard, which I'm very, very excited to uh, review and Talk about. It was very, yeah, and it was a very, very, very good pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. And it's free. Well, yeah, well, it's free at the... Uh, we should probably make mention of why we're doing these uh, oh. podcasts. Because uh, us here over in uh, Jolly UK, we're in, in a state of lockdown that has eased quite substantially. Mm. Uh, but I, I think a lot of sane, sensible people will still be following the guidelines that have been put in place. And it just means a hell of a lot of time to ourselves. And luckily, uh, budding wrestling fans have had certain shows been made available to them. Um, And one of the main reasons why I wanted to do podcast review, well, do the selection of shows is just a case of, you know, just wanting to get back into doing some wrestling podcasts and you know there's quite in a way it was a good thing of you know new japan to make three particular shows that we are going to be looking at um available and also ring of honor have made this particular show that we're going to be uh, reviewing today uh, available on their youtube channel until i think it's like middle of july i think it's like 21st of july i think so yeah yeah Uh, i think so something like that yeah yeah but it, you know this show and subsequent reviews that we're going to be doing in the coming weeks are available to view for free on the New Japan World uh, website. Uh, so the show that we're going to be looking at today is the co-produced Ring of Honor and New Japan uh, G1 Supercard, which took place over WrestleMania weekend in 2019. So for those like listening ahead in the future, but for us, it'll be like last year. Um, so before we get into the actual bones of the show, I was just wondering, Anthony, what are your previous, well, previous engagements in both Ring of Honor and New Japan before you watch the show? I've always paid paid attention to them, so I've always wanted to know what's going on, um, especially now in New Japan, because what drew me over to New Japan was um, Finn Balor, or sorry. Fergal Devitt, as he mm-hmm. as he was Prince Devitt, that's what drew me over to New Japan. So I thought, hang on, start watching this. Got watching it, discovered Okada, Omega, and it was just and the the man who is currently my favourite wrestler on the whole entire 
world, along with Chris Jericho, is uh, Tetsuya Naito. Mm. Loved him, and it's sort of it was it was it's a love. It's a love of the. It's a very respectful wrestling community over there. You know, they're always quite relatively quiet while the match is going on. When something good does happen, they do clap. It's sort of an, a lovely, respectful thing over there. With Ring of Honor, uh, um, I've sort of tailed off Ring of Honor recently. Um, and I've, I've sort of been brought back to it by um, Joe Henry, as recently signed. And Joe Henry's a favourite in this house, mm. uh, a favourite of a very good favourite of my wife's. Um, he does. He's gone viral recently with his uh, McDonald's um, <laughs> song about the uh, the lockdown and a few more. I think five million views he chalked up. Mm. So if the you know and uh, Marty Skills there now, who I believe is on creative. He's the he's the booker. He's the booker now, so mm. we'll see what happens with that. But always uh, paid attention, always kept up to date with him. I won't say watched religiously, mm-hmm. but I've certainly watched the major pay-per-views and, and stuff like Wrestle Kingdoms. I mean, I think Wrestle Kingdom has outdone WrestleMania for at least four or five years on the trot now. I've enjoyed Wrestle Kingdom more than WrestleMania. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, it, I think it's a shame that it doesn't get the praise and exposure that I think it should do, especially amongst wrestling fans. Yeah, I I definitely agree with you on um, particularly New Japan because I well you could you could say that I'm a New Japan fanboy because I I still maintain that New Japan has the best pro wrestling on the planet anywhere. But oh, like you know that's yeah. just it's just my opinion. Um, Ring of Honor. Uh, you know, I sort of like dip my toe in the water. I, wa- I used to watch like an odd pay per view here or there. Mm. I seem to remember the, there was a pay per view in, I think it was like 2014. I definitely, I remember the main event because it was the main event of Michael Elgin and Adam Cole. And it was like this blood like feud of, yeah. um, this is back when Michael Elgin had like long hair. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I know. He's he's in he's in Impact Wrestling now, and he's bald. The two are completely unrelated. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but I just remembered sort of like the the main build around the match was one Adam Cole cut off Elgin's well, if you want to call it mullet, it was more like a attempt at doing a Baron Corbin impression. He did the um, same. He did the same with Jay Lethal, didn't he, Adam Cole? Yes. If I remember did. rightly. He did. Yeah. <laughs> sort of an obsession that man, really. Yeah. It was doing his best effort to try and become the next Brutus Beefcake. Um, I recently, sorry to interrupt, but I was watching uh, Ring of Honor put down like uh, like a top 10 greatest moments of this and controversial moments of that. Mm -hmm. And it's Marty Skulls doing the the commentary over it. And one of the moments is Adam Cole cutting off Jay Lethal's hair. Right. And so Mike School says, who does this guy think he is, the next Brutus to Barbic Beefcake? Which yeah. I thought, I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, given his track record. Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that is two. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. So there was there was that that was a contributing factor. And then I think there was like, I think it was like maybe the go home episode of like Ring of Honor or whatever. Adam Cole actually attacked, attacked Michael Elgin's missus while Elgin was sort of like tied up in the ropes or whatever. And I always remember sort of like the start of this match, like Ring of Honor have this thing of like particularly main events of doing this sort of like Code of Honor shtick where they just basically sort of like handshake in the middle before the match officially begins. Um, 
And so, you know, main event's about to about to go on. And Michael Elgin, who is standing across the ring from Adam Cole, Adam Cole has cut this guy's hair and attacked his wife, still goes for the Code of Honor handshake. It's very, um, it's it's that thing that AEW are doing now. They're trying mm. to present it. I'm going to make it, oh, it's going to sound awful. They're going to present it as a real sport like a like a martial like the ufc for example that's how they're going mm. to present it that's what the 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 gimmick they want to give off yeah uh, the, the the show that not like do we do we where it's full-on story it's it's more focused on storylines and this one's a heel and that one's a face and you're supposed to like this person you're supposed to be that person and all that mm-hmm. it's very i don't know if i like it or not there's a time and place there's a time and place for it there's a time and place for it, I think, but that was my main gripe when I was sort of like, I remember watching this pay-per-view, sort of like, Elgin, this guy has made your life a living hell and you're still going for a, for a handshake. Come on. I mean, like, it, in real life, if that sort of thing had happened to you, would you really want to, before you go in for, like, this big grudge fight, would you really want to shake the guy's hand? Yeah. Well, well, not, not yeah, you shake his hand, but, uh, yeah, I completely understand what you mean. Yeah. If, if it depends what character Michael Elgin was playing, if he was going for that character of, despite what you've done, I'm still going to do the code of honor and still shake your hand and still do all this shtick. It it comes from a very strange place. I don't know if he was told to do it or not, or mm. if it was written in the script, but it's a very weird, weird. It's weird. It's weird. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna say it's weird. Mm-hmm. Um, and then sort of like the other. Uh, experience with Ring of Honor is the couple of times that they came into the northwest of England at a particular promotion which will remain nameless for sort of like cross cross promotion shows. Yeah, and we're not allowed to talk about that. <laughs> we're not allowed well, to talk it's, about it. It's not a case of not not being allowed to. I just don't want to talk about that particular company. Um, but uh, it's, it was literally a case of they had loads of Ring of Honor wrestlers come over like twice over the span of two years so you got yeah. the chance of meeting uh watching adam cole kyle o'reilly bobby fish um dalton castle dalton castle Roderick yeah. strong uh, jay lethal silas young silas young and i believe uh, matt, was matt seidel well yeah the formerly known as evan Bourne. i believe matt seidel was there i think i can't remember i think he I was. was i know he definitely featured on sort of like future shows yeah. Um, but that, I always remember coming out of you know those particular shows. I always remember Adam Cole and Dave Mastiff being an absolute barn burner of a match. That was a brilliant match. It was really fucking good. I think uh, it's the best match I've seen live, as in in person. I think that's mm, that's the one for me. It was until sort of um, a couple of years ago, but I will get onto that when. Yeah. <laughs> I get into New Japan, which ironically I'll get into now, uh, because that's pretty much my experience with Ring of Honor. Uh, in terms of New Japan, uh, sort of dipped in and out in terms of certain matches. Like I'd seen Okada and uh, Nakamura in sort of like a G1 final. I'd seen the um, matches that Nakamura had had with um, Kota Ibushi and AJ Styles at the subsequent WrestleManias, which I really fucking enjoyed and really, really good. Mm. Um, but my first real time of sitting down and sort of like watching a full New Japan pay-per-view 
was really Chris Jericho because, um, you know, it was around about this. I had this regular routine where I'll just sort of <laughs> like surf, surf Twitter or whatever, um, you know, on a, a couple of hours a day. And um, yeah, this wrestling Twitter just completely blew up of just going, oh, my God, Chris Jericho has just appeared on, um, you know, the screen at a New Japan event and has challenged Kenny Omega for, rest, for Wrestle Kingdom. It was like, whoa, what the fuck? So like I really I, I, I searched it out. And I was sort of like, okay, I'm I'm down to town, you know. I've I've heard Kenny Omega's a really good worker, and it got me involved. It got me interested in watching Wrestle Kingdom 12. I watched Wrestle Kingdom 12, and I immediately was like, yeah, this is this is the company for me. <laughs> this is the wrestling promotion for me, I should say. Yeah. Um, and I've just been pretty much sort of, I wouldn't say like a full-time fan, but I've like literally kept abreast of everything that goes on in New Japan since um and it's it's funny you were talking about the um dave massive adam cole matches being one of your one of your favorite matches to watch live because uh it was nearly two years ago uh just be under two years ago that myself um alan and our mate matt we all went to a rev pro slash new japan uh event that took place in altringham and it Ooh. had a, it had a double main event of Okada, Zack Sabre Jr. and oh. then Tomohiro Ishii and Minoru Suzuki in the main event. And honestly, those two matches are some of the best that I've ever seen live. I mean, they were just outstanding. They were outstanding wrestling matches. And I literally, I literally like made the case of just going, if New Japan ever come over here for another sort of show. Mm. Like I hope that I hope that they would sort of like go a little bit more northern, just so it it, yeah. it, would, it would make it a bit more accessible. But the next time that they're over in the UK, I want to go to a New Japan show because it's just you know that level of it's it's just that that level of of wrestling that's just sort of like sets the bar so high that none of the other companies really can can touch it. I mean, they'll they'll sometimes be good in their own right, but they're nowhere near at the same level. Nowhere near at the same level. I get the impression they won't let anyone wrestle on their card with their logo and their name on it unless they are at the top level or yeah. at a at a at a very very high level. Mm. If again, if you love pro wrestling, you should be watching New Japan because yeah. I believe I I honestly believe that is the place to go. For mm-hmm. pro wrestling at the minute, for professional wrestling in its purest, naturalist form, mm-hmm. New Japan. For example, Zack Sabre Jr. is one of the best technical wrestlers yeah. on the face of the year. The, the, he's on a match. He faces, well, not spoilers, he faces Tanahashi. Um, and obviously, we've been making notes throughout this page. You and it's probably the first match where I couldn't make notes because I was just sat there watching it. Mm-hmm. And you can talk about how people like the young bucks to do all this flippy stuff and dives out the ring. And I don't think I saw one single dive. I don't. I can't remember one. I just watched amazing technical wrestling by mm-hmm. two amazing technical wrestlers. Yeah. And it was just I was locked watching it. And I, 
well, I'm, I have made a few notes on it, mm. <laughs> mainly being fucking amazing. <laughs> Didn't barely. I was watching it, but I wasn't. I was sort of like, it was, it was a great match, and it's yeah. how wrestling should be done. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, so uh, we'll get on to it. So it's uh, the G1 Supercard, uh, co-produced by both Ring of Honor and New Japan. Uh, August, uh, it's April 6th, 2019, from Madison Square Garden. Uh, the attendance, as soon as we get to sort of like the main show, is a full sellout of 16,534. Uh, it was apparent um, just over $1 million at the gate, which Ooh. I did sort of like the maths for it. And it would equal an average ticket price of just over $60.50, which sounds about right for sort of like considering it's Madison Square Garden and it's right in the centre of New York. It's like, say if your favourite artist or your favourite band is going, you're going to throw money at it to go there. Yeah. This is, if you love pro wrestling, you're going to throw money at this. Mm-hmm. I'm, and and yeah. plus you've got, you've got to remember as well that this is taking place over, um, over the sort of like the WrestleMania weekend. So, you know, it, if there's there's not only people that are going to be there to see sort of like your WrestleManias, your NXTs, your Hall of Fames, anything WWE related. You've also got this. You've also got stuff with um, sort of like WrestleCon, the different conventions, all that. I mean, like from what we from what people say of like whichever city WrestleMania is set in, that that city just basically becomes a wrestling a wrestling town for yeah. the entire oh, weekend. Yeah. So you're going to get, a t- you're going to get a full mix of like everybody coming in. Yeah. It's mental. It's absolutely mental. It's like Mardi Gras just waltzing through. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did you know that um, obviously that this event, it was officially announced in June of 2018. Do you know that there was interference from WWE of them trying to. I heard a rumbling this of event, this and this I wasn't sure. If it was just uh, WWE, I'm go- I've got a bit of gripe between WWE fans and actual pro wrestling fans, but okay. I think I didn't know if it was um, WWE trying to drum up negative press or WWE fans just spread fans are spreading a rumor for the sake of getting themselves talked about, etc. I wasn't really sure, so I didn't really pay much attention to it. Thank God it went ahead, but yeah, go go ahead, talk talk to us about yeah. it. Yeah, well, um, it it. They were literally just a. It was just a case of like one month after the show had been announced, um, like WWE contacted officials at MSG, and they'd sort of like demanded that the event be blocked. Um, and the Ring of Honor COO Joe Coff confirmed the reports of WWE's interference at the time, oh. but it wasn't long after the after that that the issue was resolved. Um, and it was literally just a case of. I'm just trying to get a quote here from. The Ring of Honor COO here. Um, it's a pretty big thing for WWE to go out of their way to try and stop a show. Well, the the, the, the thing is, like, I can understand them. Them, I can, well, I can understand them doing that because you know we've had years of experience of Vince McMahon, the shrewd businessman that he is, just sort of like trying to put a quash on any kind of competition. But you've also got to remember as well that. They're trying to do an event in Madison Square Garden, and you've got to think how important that building was to uh, Vince McMahon Senior, Vince Vincent K. McMahon's father. 
Yeah. I mean, that was yeah, just yeah. sort of like during the territory days, that was the main go to place. Their house. Their house. It's their yeah. house. They consider yeah. it their house. Uh huh. And yeah, that was, well, I think it was a combination of things really, but I, I think like as soon as they heard sort of like the, the press being built up of, you know, um, it's, you know the, the the big dogs trying to squash this sort of, sort of like little dog. There's sort of like a case of oh we'll just we'll, we'll back off we'll back off we'll let them do it because you know we're WWE goddammit pal. And I think that's the thing with WWE the big they they consider themselves the be all and end all of wrestling. If of you're not in if you're not in WWE you've not made it. I'm sorry but it's not the case anymore. Yeah. It's just not the case. In 2020, well, it's just not the case. Well, the thing is, when you had the likes of AJ Styles and Shinsuke Nakamura come over, as soon as they get onto that main roster, they literally treat them as rookies and literally just a case of, yeah, we know that they've uh, they've done stuff overseas, but, you know, this is the WWE. It's a completely different ballpark. I hate, I, Michael Cole says that all the time. Any, if there's any time someone new comes in, that's sort of the first thing he says, like you said, AJ Styles. Oh, he's done all this, but he's not done it in WWE. Shinsuke Nakamura, who's the, who's an amazing wrestler, an amazing charismatic performer, and he's on, he's, no, he doesn't get talked about anymore. He's sort of lost well, in the it, WWE universe. Well, I don't really want to talk about WWE too much, but yeah. the thing is, you've got to, you've got to realize sort of like the career that Nakamura had in Japan was incredibly hard-hitting, incredibly um, taxing on the body. And, you know, you, you you literally hear people just sort of like going, well, Nakamura's just looking at this as sort of like a paid vacation, and he only really sort of tries every now and then, which, you know, I, I can see... I can see both sides of the plate, really. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. I was I was expecting a lot when Nakamura came in, and you know we didn't really get it. But hey ho, that's just the way things go. Um, so before we get into the actual show, there was a couple. Well, there was one dark match, and there was one uh, pre-show match. Yes. Um, so this dark, there was a dark match, um, which was a six-woman tag that featured um, women from Stardom and the. Um, Women, women of Honor, which yeah. is just basically the women's division of, of Ring of Honor. Now, this wasn't um, filmed for the pre-show, but it was um, recorded and made available on sort of like on a club, which is basically their streaming service. And then it was yeah. also made available on YouTube as well. Uh, I, I mean, I, I did watch it, did make notes for it. Uh, so it was uh, Jenny Rose uh, versus the... Um, the Stardom faction, members of the Stardom faction, Ode Tai, uh, Kezuka, Kezuka, and Hazuki. Hazuki. If yeah. I remember rightly, yeah. There yeah. And then they faced the team of Hanakamura, Sumi yeah. Sasaki, and Stella Gray. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it, it was a short enough match. It only went less than seven minutes. And it, it the, happened. That's, it, the, yeah. that's the best thing I said. It happened. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was your box stand pre show match, really. Yeah. I mean, it was there, um, and it uh, ended with Sumisakai getting pinned with a 450 splash from Keksuk, or whatever her name was. I can't remember. <laughs> I got Kagetsu. Kagetsu. That's it. That's it. I've not been um, practicing all day. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
and then we had the official pre-show match, which was the Honor Rumble, and the winner got a future uh, Ring of Honor World title shot. Um, yeah, first big red flag of this being a Ring of Honor broadcast. There was three, three wrestlers, well, three New Japan wrestlers that had dubbed over themes. There was Minoru Suzuki, Raisuke Taguchi, and Jushin von der Liger. Now, I'm sorry, dubbing over particularly Suzuki and Liger's themes is punishable by death, if I'm being <laughs> honest, because both of those themes are fucking incredible. Yeah. Incredible little theme. They're incredible themes. Um, but hey-ho. I didn't really make a note of anything that really happened in this match, because... No, it was it's, just who, who came in. Who yeah. eliminated who and stuff like that. Uh, interesting thing here, Kenny King chose storyline, chose to go first as mm. a way of proving himself in Ring of Honor. And I think it was really, really, it was actually a really, really good build up actually because Kenny King, he's making his entrance, the Ring of Honor, uh, uh, the commentators are digging him up, digging him up saying, um, oh, he chose to go first. He wants to prove himself in Ring of Honor. He wants this, he wants this. And then Next person that comes out, number two is Minoru Suzuki. <laughs> you just think, all right, yeah, out you go, pal. <laughs> That's yeah, but the first thing you think. The thing is, though, Kenny King comes out number one, and yeah, they're putting it over in commentary, but do you notice something? I actually made a note of how many people got, at the very least, a reaction when they came out, and only two, well, I can only like put down two Ring of Honor competitors that at least got some sort of a reaction, and that was Cheeseburger and Colt Cabana later on. Nobody else on the well, nobody else on this particular in this honor rumble was over at all. Like most of them yeah. came out to crickets. And even even PJ Black, who um, before the Justin me, Gabriel, before Justin Gabriel, yeah, even he came out to like, absolute practical silence. Yeah, and I was a bit shocked, but I was a bit taken aback by that because it's PJ Black. You know, he's he's very well known, relatively well known. Well, I thought he was. And then he comes out to um, absolute no. Well, I mean, I mean, the thing is, it, it's it's PJ Black. Mm. You know, it's it, it's not to you know kick him kick him while he's down or anything, but his WWE career didn't really do that much of anything. And then the only yeah. thing that I can remember of him doing after he left WWE is I think he appeared on like Lucha Underground. He did, yeah. He was but with um, Johnny Johnny Mundo, John Morrison, Johnny Impact, Johnny Nitro, whatever he goes by these days. <laughs> Johnny insert surname here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the one. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, I thought it was a nice touch that all the Ring of Honor, um, all the Ring of Honor competitors were introduced by the Ring of Honor announcer, and all the New Japan competitors were introduced by. The New Japan announcer. I thought that was quite a nice touch. Yeah, it's very nice. Yeah, it, well, um, it's cla- classy. It's a, just it was just classy. That pro yeah. wrestling, pro wrestling class. It's official. It's happening. You know, pay attention. So it makes I th- I think it makes you pay attention more when stuff like that go when it's people take care of it. Yeah, I think it was cared about and it was nurtured and I think that's why they did it. Well, I can guarantee that it was a New Japan torch because, as we will see throughout the entirety of the night, um, yeah, it's the the Ring of Honor involvement. At least for my part, wasn't that wasn't that great? But you know, we'll get into it. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was it was originally supposed to be a 30 man rumble, um, but 
Number 27 <laughs> was Toriano, yeah. who subsequently went straight over to the announcer's desk where Colt Cabana was and just went, hey, you, you, you go, you go instead. And I was like, you know, so confused. I was like, what is happening? <laughs> I couldn't, I was like typing this up and I thought, hey, <laughs> can he do that? Can he just go in? <laughs> Well, they, they, they literally said on there, they literally said on commentary as soon as, because um, like Cabana and Yano, they're both technically sort of like looked at as 20, uh, entering 27. Um, and so like literally as soon as Yano goes to the ring and sort of like they say on commentary, it's like, yeah, the New Japan official, New Japan Ring of Honor officials just said, yeah, just roll with it. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, I, lo- I, I did. Lo- I did like it, though. I like Yano, I like yeah. Yano, I like, I like oh, both. Oh, Tori Yano is such a fucking great comedy wrestler. Like, you know, it's the age-old thing of sort of like, you know, Jim Cornette saying, oh, it, you know, you can't have humour in wrestling, bollocks. Bollocks. Well, anyway, you, that's a comment by a man who's completely out of touch at the minute. I, I, well, I you know. It, in, it, in some areas. In some, <laughs> in some, in areas. some areas, definitely, I'd say. Um, so there were 15 New Japan competitors and 15 ring of honor competitors uh i would just list them down because i did list i just basically made a list of every single entrant and then just put yeah. a star next I've to got the list as well yeah. <laughs> um so ring of honor competitors were kenny king cheeseburger beer city bruiser uh beer city bruiser shaheem ali Rhett titus lsg will ferrara brian milanus jonathan gresham tracy williams pj black tk orion vinnie marciella uh, Delirious and Colt Banner, and then the New Japan representatives were Minoru Suzuki, Showing Yo over Punky 3K, uh, Shingo Takagi, Bushi, Raisuke Taguchi, Chase Owens, Rocky Romero, Bad Luck Farley, Yoshihashi, Jushin Thunder Liger, Tomohiro Ishii, Toriano, Hiroki Goto, and King Haku, uh, which makes up 30. Well, which makes up 30, but the technic- technically the 30th entrant. Was the great Muta? The great Muta. He's not just called. The, the, he is the great Muta. I mean, th- this man is a, a, a is a god. He's an yes. absolute god in uh, I mean, the not just in Japan but in the wrestling world. He is held in such high regard. He is a god. He is he should and he's rightly so treated that way. And I was so happy when he came down that ramp to an absolutely massive. Pop. Oh, it was, that one, was, of the big, it was one of the biggest oh, pops of the night. It's it's something that it's that it's it was comparable to the Undertaker's Gong. Mm. It was that sort that sort of reaction that me just watching it a year later. <laughs> yeah. Still gave me chills because it is the Great Moose and he's a living legend, a living god in the wrestling world. And he, he got the invasion. And, and he came out in his. Uh, alien cosplay attire which looked mm. fucking cool he just looked cool it, oh, i'm so he's god that's all i'm just gonna say god <laughs> yeah <laughs> just gonna say god um the, the only the, the other thing that i had was uh the confrontation confrontation between ishii and suzuki and as i said i just got flashbacks to the match that the match that i saw live and i was just sort of like yeah it's always great it's always great to see ishii and suzuki because like they they had a um i think it was like the back end of 2018 it was like one of the last pay-per-views before the build-up to wrestle kingdom they actually had like a main event match on like 
one of the one of the, these major shows for the, the Rev Pro British title. And you know, it's it's great. Whenever whenever you have sort of like them two having a four round battle with each other, it's fucking you know, it's printing it's money. All, it's awesome. Head. It's awesome. Yeah. I mean, there was a bit where uh, start with Kenny King and uh, Suzuki in the ring. Kenny King's trying to chop, and Suzuki's just going, "What are you doing, pal?" <laughs> <laughs> He's just looking looking at him like, "What, it's, are, you doing, mate? <laughs> what are you doing?" It's the it's, it's the Suzuki death stare. Because like literally, you just sort of like as soon as he gets like hit or whatever, he'll just literally look. He'll look at him and just sort of like go, "Oh really, motherfucker?" It's like, "Eh, I'll show you how to fucking do it," and then he'll just rifle somebody's fucking head off. It's it's scary though, isn't it? (laughs) That guy looks. I know you've probably had that the 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 nicest Kenny King has probably had the nicest conversation with him backstage, but. Trust me, he shat himself <laughs> in that ring. Regardless of what happened that stage, what they're going to do after, he shat himself when he did something like that. Well, the thing is, from what I've heard from, like, um, not, like, particularly people who have ever worked with him, but, like, backstage sort of, like, hoo-ha-ha, is that apparently, like, Suzuki and, like, Ishii, Apparently working with them two is a piece of piss. Apparently, apparently it's not as stiff as it um, as it comes across. I think that comes from they are good at they are so good at what they do. Yes. They they make it look and make it feel easy on their opponent. I mean, it makes you want to go in the ring with them more. It makes you want to do it more as as a wrestler should and should do anyway, regardless whether you're getting smacked out of the. <laughs> the bloody ground or not and this it's, at, yeah. at the same at the same time as well if you're just sort of like a fan looking in it looks vicious and it's something that you'd sort of like you're more than willing to so i've become like a really big fan of like shingo takagi because he mm. sort of like goes into that same pool as just sort of um you know the really stiff hard hitting action that i just yeah. I'd, i've i've come to love so much um so the suppose well it comes down well, like initially, it comes down to both Muta and Liger. Mm-hmm. Very smart decision because it yeah. got the crowd hyped, and you know they started having these confrontations. And then from out of nowhere, Kenny King comes out, um, just comes back in. Apparently, he was sort of like he disappeared. Like he literally does disappear, doesn't he? Yeah, I, I didn't clock him because I think leaving. it was like it was maybe like during the Yano stuff because the, the, like that was the only time yeah. that the camera was away from the ring for a significant amount of time so it must have been then because like one minute he was in the ring and then the next minute he was nowhere to be seen because um, there's so but, many bodies there was so many it took a while for the first elimination to happen as well oh yeah well, because there were so many bodies in there not, not that's a criticism but it was basically yeah. bruiser gets eliminated first and then um i think he's like ancient entrant number four or whatever he pretty much gets eliminated straight away and then there isn't another elimination until i think entrant number 15 and then there's there's like a there's a a sort of like five minute stint and then a couple of people get chucked out and then another five minute stint and then somebody else will probably get chucked out but it was left late in terms of eliminations yeah um so yeah kenny king who'd been hiding away on the outside just comes in and eliminates both of them to the most well, the first of many apathetic reactions. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it, it was just, it was so flat. And the thing is, as well, 
you've got Jushin Thunder Liger in there who has come out before this event and just said, well, well, it was like start of that particular year. The start of the year, wasn't it? He said that's he, it. He, he just basically come out and said, yeah, this is going to be my last. Um, it's going to be my last year in terms of being a professional wrestler. Wouldn't it have been better? Because I realise that this is a Ring of Honor match because it's a shot for the Ring of Honor title. Mm. Wouldn't it have been better just for Liger to have won, and then you can bring him back over in the summer, having challenged for the world title. People will pay to see him wrestle. In a world title match, you know, yeah, yeah, and it's, yeah, and right, it's yeah. his last, and it will probably be sort of like his last, last big major bout in the US, and you can have him put over whoever is the world champion, and you know that can skyrocket. But no, we'll just give it to Kenny King, who, you know, it's, it's a, no disrespect to Kenny King, but he's a predominant he's, mid carder. He is not the someone you want to hold the title and lead Ring of Honor. Ring of oh, Honor we'll now. To, oh, oh, we'll, oh, yeah, please do. When, yeah. When we get to the world, when we get to the Ring of Honor World Title match, we'll talk about who. who yeah, well, have the title. I, I've got a, a massive grab, but I've also got a massive grab about someone else in this uh, in this pay per view, and um, yeah. Anyway, I'll get when we get to him, you'll know. I just want to mention the uh, is it Taguchi. Um, leading <laughs> several wrestlers put was it bushy in the corner it was bushy yeah. in the corner and he leads what could only be described as a chain of wrestlers to repeatedly clothesline there was at least 10 of them yeah it 10 was, 10 or 12 it was literally just sort of like 10 or 12 wrestlers on a conveyor belt of doing consecutive clotheslines to bushy in the corner and then he gets eliminated. I think Bushi gets eliminated by Rocky Romero. Yes. Um, <laughs> I just thought, how, 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 how? It was entertaining. It was funny. It was brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> Pick on Bushi, man. Well, hey ho. Somebody has to take it, I guess. Um, <laughs> so, so the main show kicks off with a title for title match. Uh, the Ring of Honor TV champion Jeff Cobb against the never open weight champion will osprey now i'm going to be doing this for every well pretty much every single one of the main matches bar probably the women's match uh, yes. i'll say mm. um but just sort of like thoughts on both of these guys i love jeff cobb i think yeah. he's the, a pure athlete in terms of uh speed and strength he, he's incredible quite charismatic at well will osprey now I have a bit of a gripe with Will Ospreay. Mm. In ter- he, he is probably one of the best wrestlers on the planet at the minute. Mm-hmm. And has been for quite a number of years. I mean, when we saw him in a Northwest promotion, he was up and coming, but we knew he was going to be good. Mm-hmm. And then he got to Ring of Honor, and then we knew, and then he went to Japan, and he's spent f- quite a, a few years at New Japan. Well, you see, he's pretty much made Japan his home. Yeah. And yeah. pretty much as soon as he got in the doorway, it was literally just a case of Okada took him under his under his wing mm. and literally just has made it made it clear of him of just sort of like you have the potential <clears throat> to be the next big star in pro wrestling. Yeah. Um, I'm just confused about... We, we've all seen the video of uh, the, the Paul Heyman live shows done by, is it Inside the Ropes? Um, yes. 
And Paul Heyman handed him an, an Evolve contract, which would have led to a WWE contract, which would have led to X, Y, Z, and God knows what else. Mm-hmm. And he turned that down, and I was quite taken aback for a man who is quite popular mm-hmm. among the wrestling community. He'll draw people in. I don't think he'll fail in WWE. I don't think he might reach the absolute heights. I don't, but I certainly don't think. He... I was just a bit confused as to why he turned that down. I mean, it turns out he had, like you say, Okada and New Japan on his back to say, "Come on, ignore mm-hmm. that, pal. Yeah. Come over here." Instead of getting lost over there, come over here. But at that time, his mindset must. It's Paul Heyman handing you the contract for God's yeah. sake. If it was anybody else, even Vince McMahon himself, you'd suspect a bit of foul play. Mm-hmm. Not foul play, but a bit of, hang on a minute, you're just going to do me in here. But it was Paul Heyman. And Paul Heyman, when he picks who he likes, usually doesn't let him down. Mm-hmm. Usually. And I just wondered, where's his mindset going forward? Because obviously now... There's two big companies in the US. Mm-hmm. Um, it's up to him. He could. He, he's a New Japan legend already, I think. I think he's up there certainly, especially in uh, around Asia. But I wonder if some people will consider his career not so much a failure but a letdown if. He doesn't go to, say, the likes of WWE or AEW now. I just want your thoughts on that, because that's what I've heard. I think, what do you think? I wouldn't really be in that mentality, because the thing is, you could say the same thing about the likes of Okada, who, bar the excursion, which, you know, all young young lions in new japan who are just basically the young students they basically go away for a year to like either mexico or the us or the uk or wherever and they just sort of like soak up as much knowledge as they come back um but bar like you know a a dip in the pond in tna okada's mainly been japan okada's mainly been new japan and you know i classify okada as being one of the best wrestlers in the world at the moment. Um, so I, I, I very much doubt that he would be classed as a failure. I, I, I think it, I think that kind of talk is sort of like out the window when it comes to if you're not if you haven't gone to sort of like this company or this company, you haven't made it in wrestling. I I, I honestly don't believe that. Um, I mean, like Will Ospreay for me. From what I've seen the past year, in terms of him going up against, um, I actually made a note about this like like, uh, later on in the match that we're going to be talking about. I think his career going forward should be in the heavyweight division as the guy that just gets beat on and beat on and beat on, and then just makes and makes spectacular comebacks. I think yeah. that is the road that he needs to be slipping, that he needs to be going down, because Osprey has Osprey like over the past few years has just been stuck in the same sort of group of 
people who will do spectacular moves, but you know, it's it's all it's all this you know cruiserweight stuff, just sort of like flipping about and you know hardly any no selling. Whereas this particular match, I can think of a match he has with Shinga Takagi in the finals of the Best of Super Juniors final. And like G1 matches that he has with Okada, and then there's like an opening match against Lance Archer, that against like proper like big time heavyweights, but they're far more entertaining because he's got something to come back against. Whereas when he's like in the junior heavyweight division, it's just literally flips and tricks and you know all this stuff that just makes you turn your mind off and just sort of like, ooh yeah, let's uh, let's have a look at the. <laughs> And recent pictures that I've seen of him, he is the boys. Oh, he's bulking up. He is. Like he's 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 doing what Zack Sabre Jr. is not doing, which is yes. Mass. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I couldn't ag- I could not agree with you more. Zack Sabre Jr. is great. He's great at what he does. He's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Not saying that. Um, no, I'm. You have I'm to be. You have to be a big bloke to be a, a, a champ. But. I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll get yeah. we'll get onto it later on, but you know, it's when you're comparing Zack Sabre with Tanahashi, it's quite stark. Um, and then uh, Jeff Cobb, Jeff Cobb has come sort of like to my attention sort of like the past couple of years. He's like a he's a really innovative powerhouse who's deceptively athletic. And... Looks like Rhino, flies like Rey Mysterio. Mm. You know what I mean? And... It's not, and it's not sort of like a case of you know over the top, you know, um, big man athleticism like Keith Lee might do. Now, don't get me wrong, I fucking love Keith Lee, yeah. but you know there are times where it can be a hell of a little bit overboard. Whereas you know sort of like Jeff Cobb, you might he has the ability to do sort of like like he does in this match. He does a standing moonsault, but he doesn't go overboard with it. It's the simple things done well yeah. yeah and that's what wins you, you over especially in the pro wrestling world you don't have to go ahead and do like a court triple court screw double flip onto the the outside through a table through a barber you don't have to do that no do the simple things well the crowd if you're charismatic enough to win the crowd over they honestly sometimes don't care what you do in that ring and that's but that's, if you do the simple things well and unfortunately, that's, I mean, particularly in like most modern wrestling, that's the stage that it's got to, where it'll literally just be sort of like a case of doing all this stuff. But, you know, it, it, you know, people are so desensitized to it that, you know, you'll do simple stuff that, you know, for me is more crisp and athletic, but mm. you won't get any reaction from sort of like the fan base which is a shame i feel but i feel this got the the crowd was really i won't say really into it but they were certainly into it because it's it's will osprey i just made a note by the way that during the um opening sequence where all the fireworks going off mm-hmm. will osprey's um titan tron movie thing was on the the center the center screens yeah the whole thing mm-hmm. and <laughs> sort of <laughs> i thought oh that's what's coming next yeah um so uh it's the match kicks off it's a very fast start um there's a bit where um you know osprey's chucked towards the barricade and he sort of leaps over and there's a like a wheelchaired fan that he almost runs into and sort of like it's a case of like 
he, he looks back, sort of like gives a thumbs up to see if he's, you know, okay. Does like his little, um, you know, his little bits um, on the outside before chucking Cobb back in. And then he actually goes back over to the wheelchair fan and just makes sure, he'd, makes sure that he's okay. Not the Which last is, fan interaction in this uh, this uh, yeah. by the way. Not the last yeah. one. <laughs> no, but it's it's quite nice to see from from Osprey because this the, the thing is like I've not I'm not really a big fan of Osprey personally. I I quite like him as a wrestler, but like I seem to remember there was a couple of years ago a case of um, a couple. Um, English female wrestlers who were going over to Japan to do some work in stardom. And it's one of these girls just sort of like, Oh my God, I can't wait to get out there. Can't wait to sample the culture. Can't really wait to, to, you know, to get going. I can't wait to, it's going to be so exciting and I can't wait to have so much fun. And I seem to remember Osprey at the time, like doing this response of, you know, you 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 have to serious up when you get over here because you know it's not a cakewalk and you know you shouldn't treat it as a holiday. It's a, like serious work. And I was like, mate, come on, seriously? Did you know? It's not a case let, of let, let the baby out the bottle. You yeah, know what I mean, exactly. Just, and it's just literally just and it's literally just a case of oh well, yeah, fuck off, will you? But you know, from time to well, I haven't really followed him ever really since because. No, I don't really, don't really have that much of a, of a liking for him, I should say. Um, there's a stalling second rope superplex from Jeff Cobb, um, where, uh, yeah, second rope superplex from Cobb, and he literally just goes, literally just starts chucking Osprey around, and that's literally where I have in my notes how and where Osprey should be going in his career because it's it's something that can. Well, it, it's something that like gets him over as a babyface in Japan, really. I mean, he's, he's very well liked in Japan, and I think like this set, this style of match going forward, I think would get him over even more. Do you not think he's getting too comfortable with that kind of way of? And he's sort of because when I watched this match, it was very, I'm going to do what works in Japan not what I know works in America or the UK or wherever. I get, I get that sort of, I, I just get a vibe off him. That's, mm. that's not a good one. I want to like him. I like the stuff he does as a pro wrestler. I think he's amazing, but there is something about him that is, it just sets off alarms. Right. And I don't know. And I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is about him. Not the it's not majorly negative. I don't want to hate I'm not hating on the guy for God's sake. But yeah. it's like the story you told before. I think he's very, very, very engrossed in Japan, mm-hmm. and that's that's fair enough to him. I think he loves it over there. He's gotten used to it. He knows what works over there. Yeah. I think he's going to stay over there. Well, he's, yeah, he's he's already um, living over there at the moment. He's, he has he has got his like his uh, I'm pretty sure it was like the back end of it was either the back end of last year or the start of last year where he actually bought himself his own place and just basically said yeah I'm going to be living in Japan for wow. full time from he, now on. He mentioned something about staying in Australia as well. Really? 
Yeah, uh, I remember he did a, a show in Australia, and he sort of said, I'm going to make Australia the place for wrestling, and yeah, blah, 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 blah. And then this all happens. Mm. So I'm pretty sure he said that before, but, you know, again, like I say, he's got a, a wider range of moves. I love the Stormbreaker uh, finisher, by the way. I think that's a really good, mm-hmm. good-looking good finisher. It looks great. Um, it's, a, it's a finisher that uh, Shayna Baszler's started doing as well. Really? I think so, anyway, because, well, I, I don't know, because I've not really, I haven't seen Shayna Baszler use it, but I've heard people say, yeah, she's uh, taking that finisher wow. uh, under her under her wing. <coughs> under her wing, I should say. Um, See, so yeah, I have in my notes, Cobb is not only powerful, but is so athletic, uh, proves it by kipping up off of Simone Drop and then nailing a standing moonsault, which was yeah. just finger beauty. Uh, so uh, Cobb misses a top rope splash, um, which allows Osprey to hit the Robinson special. It uh, goes for the Os cutter, but there uh, Cobb catches him in, in midair, chucks him towards the corner turnbuckle. Osprey lands on the second rope and springs board back out of it and eventually hits the Os cutter yeah. for a really good uh, two two count fall. Yeah, and this it's this, a good this segment. The, that very good, clean, yeah. clean. This I want to say clean. Yeah, this was the match that like sort of got the fans really into it. I mean, they'd been into the match, but like this is the one that really popped them. Um, so Osprey goes for the Stormbreaker, um, but they maneuver in such a way that Cobb uh, gets perched on the second rope. Uh, Osprey nails a kick in the corner and then goes for a top rope uh, Stormbreaker, but Cobb uh, fights his way out of it, hits a super tour of the islands, and then pulls Osprey from the canvas up into a tour of the islands again and pins Osprey to win the match and both titles in 12 minutes 52. Just a really good opener. It really was. It really that finish was amazing. I really loved the uh, the tour of the islands from the top row. I mean, it looked <laughs> like it sucked for Will Osprey. It looked like it really sucked for Will Osprey. Well, I mean, but, you're, t- you're taking a flat back bump off the top rope. I mean, yeah. <laughs> It's got a sock anyway. Of co- well, of course, yeah, I've never been in the ring myself or fallen from a great height, but I'm pre- <laughs> but it 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 looked like the right finish. Mm. It worked this match. It really did work. As both wrestlers um, really uh, combining really well, and 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 it was just a very nice finish. Obviously, after the uh, the top rope, Cobb gets up, pulls the uh, off the shoulder of his onesie sort of thing, and they're sort of like, come on, and the crowd just goes freaking mental at this point, it's another tour of the islands, and it's just, it's a, it really sets off, um, st- sets off the pay-per-view very well, sets the tone, sets yeah. the tone. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, we're in for a few, a couple of dubs uh, from the, in the next few matches. Yeah, sorry, um, guys. <laughs> yeah. Uh, t- well, I, um, I mentioned before we came on, it was just sort of like the case of, uh, you know, we used to big time celebrities being at ringside in WWE. Um, I seem to remember one time when WWE came over uh, in uh, 2006. I seem to remember there being a time where Jose Mourinho and his kids were in the crowd. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and it, was, it was around the time of the sort of like, you know, DX versus the McMahons. And sort of Shane McMahon got on the got on the microphone and just basically uh, said to Jose Mourinho, if it weren't for Russian oil money being pumped into your club, you would be absolutely nothing. It was really awkward. <laughs> yeah. You know, I found it so awkward. Mourinho was looking at him like, what the hell are you? <laughs> yeah. you know, hey? 
you were you were my friend about an hour ago. Calm down, pal. What's this about? <laughs> he looked really. It was just really awkward. Really awkward. So was this. <laughs> Don't invite and, celebrities to your pay per view and sit him in the front bleeding row because it's awkward. Wasn't it Fred Durst? Yeah. He swore at the camera at SummerSlam. Middle finger, then, at, middle finger at SummerSlam was immediately kicked out. I'm like, stop inviting celebrities to your <laughs> fucking shows, guys. Oh, my God. Uh, um, anyway. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, WWE used to having, you know, Fred Durst. Or maybe have, like, the likes of Adam Sandler, Rob Schneider in the front row at WrestleMania. And who do, uh, who do Ring of Honor get? World oh. Arm Wrestling League champion Michael Todd. I, I, I honestly thought, oh, this is some kind of charity work. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's nice having him on. Like they're doing some sort of make a wish. Oh, no. <laughs> I, honestly, I was so confused. Like, am I meant to know who he is? Uh, <laughs> it was oh, that we, it was that oh, kind of moment, wasn't it? Oh, oh we meant to know him. Ring of Honor do this many, many times tonight. Expect you to know who these fucking people are. Who was oh. the one sat next to him? Because they mentioned her and all. Oh, do, do you know what? I didn't even bother making a note of it because I was just sort of like, <laughs> I don't recognise the name, so I'm not going to bother making a note of. I remember that now because he, he looked so confident at the start and he did like five seconds of pose and I thought, yeah, oh, that's that's quite cool. And then he just sat down awkwardly for another 10 seconds while the camera just stayed on him and he did. Yeah. He was just staring into the away. camera. And I, and I felt, I'd have thought, should I look away? Uh, or <laughs> should I wait for him to look away? <laughs> Are you going to cut the camera? No, okay, just, just keep it on him while he stares at you, that's fine. <laughs> it was so, oh, it was, yeah. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Ring of Honor, for that fantastic <laughs> segment. So we'll get on to match number two. Uh, well, we can't really call it a match number two because of how long it lasts. Um, but technically, match number two, it's Roosh versus Dalton Castle. Uh, now, Roosh uh, is actually, uh, this is something that I found out when I did research on, like, Naito, like, a couple of years ago um roosh is the original uh creator of los ingobernables oh i did not know that yeah because um it was when naito was on his excursion from japan and he did like a year in mexico and roosh and naito and it was somebody else there was it was like um, another american wrestler they actually made los ingobernables in cmll Wow, I did not know that. It was either CMLL or AAA. I can't remember which. I think it was CMLL, but I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, Dalton Castle is... um, Did you notice he was sort of like wearing a bit of padding at the back? Yes. um, Didn't he break his back or something? Two two broken bones in his back. And he elected to not get surgery, but to continue uh, wrestling, which explains this well it's just sort of like a cummerbund like just above his yeah and i think and i have made it um obviously this match lasts 15 seconds squash match roosh just clobbers the guy pins castle um castle ends up beating up the 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 boys after Mm -hmm. and i'm not weren't the boys at this point going to wwe 
I I don't know. I don't. I can't remember hearing anything about um, it. I remember seeing on their Instagram the, the the both of them posing in the property of WWE, blah, 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 blah whatever right. it said. I remember seeing that picture of them both. So I think this was set up getting rid of it because he doesn't have them anymore. Mm. Um, so I think the boys are doing something in WWE or God knows what else. Right. Um, I love Dalton Castle, man. Well, he's, I mean, so, he's so charismatic. You just, oh, I love the guy. Mm-hmm. Love the guy. He's... He, it's very charismatic, and he is a good worker when he is 100%. Um, I, the thing is, I, I love the gimmick. I really do like the gimmick, but it doesn't seem to be a gimmick that will last forever. It, it's a bit like like I remember like years and years ago, I went back and was watching like all Attitude Era, like Raws and pay-per-views and stuff like that. And I always really had a... I always really liked Val Venus. Like I thought, I thought he was a really good wrestler, and his gimmick was entertaining. Obviously, nowadays, you know, he's uh, he's doing his best to sort of like you know killed killed my childhood love for him. Uh, not in that way. <laughs> the money uh, shot, everybody. The money shot. That's yeah. all I'm going to say on that fella. <laughs> yeah. Um. But you know, you you had the feeling that coming into sort of like year two thousand. He would come out in sort of like the same gimmick that he'd been doing since 1998, and it was literally just a case of, yeah, it's a bit outdated. This maybe you want to, you know. Dead. This is how I felt with Dalton Castle when he was coming out. It was literally just a case of, yeah, you, you, you know, it's a, a fun gimmick, really fun gimmick. Mm. And as I say, really good wrestler, but you know, there is a there is a time where you have to sort of like mix it up a little bit, but you know, to do it in to do it in MSG, this <laughs> I'd, I'd literally just had the the case of um, at the finish of this match, like literally Roosh pins him in 15 seconds, and like most of the crowd who had been who had cheered when Castle came out, the majority of them were literally of a case of really that's it, and then it didn't really help that he like beat up the boys afterwards, and it was just sort of like oh, okay, it's a bit of a Debbie Downer. Yeah, I think uh, this was was a setup to right off the boys because i do i do think they went off to wwe sometime soon after this um i remember i i've met dalton castle twice yes um, so have i he is the first time i met him um i had the picture paid for the picture um asked to buy a shirt off him because he had the shirts there and yada yada, yada. and um the shirt i wanted which i still have i'm not wearing unfortunately um, that I still have. He only had it in large, but at this point, I liked him so much, I did not care. It did not fit me. It fits me perfectly now. <laughs> 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 Nothing to the fact I've been married almost a year and we're in lockdown, but that's fine. Mm. Uh, <laughs> what but, happens will happen. Yeah, I'm balding as well. Well, I'm balding. I am bald. Whatever. <laughs> anyway, and he was like, oh my god, he, he sort of like switched off the 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 sort of character he plays and was all of a sudden like hang on, <laughs> you're like someone I'll just meet out the street, <laughs> not yeah. not what I've just seen, because he's going, bring me up another boy, and things like that, which yeah. nobody leaves Dalton in the corner, he's so in character, and it was so entertaining to hear, and then for him to talk to me and suddenly switch off from this character, mm-hmm. and be sort of normal, it was kind of like, whoa, okay, <laughs> yeah. okay, you, you do that too, <laughs> 
And I thought I thought he was he was he was so nice. He was so, he's he's fantastic, Dalton. Mm-hmm. But I know he's doing stuff with Joe Henry now. They're a tag team, which looks quite fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I agree with you that the the gimmick could do with um bit of a change up. Uh, yeah, uh, keep, uh, it, keep it fresh. Yeah. yeah. Um, so straight after that, we have an advert for the G1 show in Dallas. I've watched this show and it's quite a bit. It's quite a bit of fun, really. Um, and all five of the matches in the G1 tournament that take place, they're all different and they're all really entertaining. Uh, which is a good show to uh, check out. Well, actually, do you know what? The, the whole of watching the G1 is probably... Just watch like, the G1. Watch every is, G1 that's ever yeah. happened, ever. Just yeah. type in G1, watch it. Yeah. Because <laughs> p- pretty much it's like, it's the it's the main highlight of sort of like the wrestling calendar. It's the G1 tournament. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, I have... It's, so, yeah, the, there was two sets of commentators um, for this show. Ring of Honor were represented by Colt Cabana on Collar and Ian Rick and Bonnie. And New Japan had um, Kevin Kelly, mostly. And then there was the translator, Chris Charlton, who has done uh, a couple of really interesting books about the history of New Japan. I've got one on my bookshelf and um, called uh, Lion's Pride, which is just basically the whole history of New Japan up until I think about like 2014, 2015. It's a really good read. If you sort of like see it on anywhere online or it ever comes on offer and you see it, really recommend getting it. If you're interested in, if you'd like interested in New Japan, but you're just sort of like, Oh, I'm wondering, you know, sort of like the, how it all started and sort of like, you know, the, the main history of New Japan, it's definitely a book I can recommend. Um, so yeah, uh, I have in my notes. Ian Riccoboni is literally channel- channeling his inner gorilla monsoon with his constant quips of "It's a happening." <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. I, I, I seem to remember that there was a, <laughs> there was a particular like pay per view in the Hulkamania era. I think it was like a SummerSlam, and literally Gorilla Monsoon is like caught about twenty or thirty times saying the phrase "It will be a happening" or "It's a happening" or whatever variation of that it might be. Um, so there's there's a bit of a hoo-ha-ha as uh, cameras backstage show Juice Robinson laid out in the locker room, which will affect the match after this next one. Uh, so match number three is for the Women of Honor World Championship. Kelly Klein against the champion Mayu Awatani. Um, on commentary is Mandy Leone. Do you want to know what she's best known for, Ant? Oh, God, I dread to think. It certainly isn't, <laughs> it certainly isn't commentary, but go on. Do you remember Adam Rose? Oh, oh, she was a rosebud, wasn't she? She was a recurring rosebud for like 2000 for like most of his run. Oh, for God's sake! That's literally that's literally like I literally I went on her Wikipedia and just sort of like there was a tiny little section in a WWE and it was literally just sort of like going she was a recurring rosebud between 2014 and 2015 and then if the next that is on your wikipedia page what the hell are you doing with your life sorry <laughs> Mandy, i'm sorry but come on if you're a recurring dancing bloody whatever you were oh come on and then, oh, the, next it, par- and then the next the next paragraph was um you know she spent some time in uh in at the performance center and then that was a section of wwe just done Oh, congratulations. <laughs> and, oh, whatever, whatever. Just whatever. Mm. It, it's a happening. 
that's, that's the best way to describe this match. It's a happening. Yeah, it's a happening. Uh, oh, God, the crowd were dead. Yes. Oh. So, Mau and Awatani, um, she's apparently, I, t- I can't remember, it might have been Meltzer. It might have been Meltzer. Um, she literally, like, I think it was like a couple of years ago that she put, um, he put um, Mayu, Io Shirai, and Kairi Hojo, who is Kairi Zane in WWE. He literally just put those three in sort of a bracket of being some of the best wrestlers in the world. So, like, safe to say that I was, expectations were high going into this one. Mm-hmm. And then, literally, the, the, the match is two minutes old. Kelly Klein gives Mayu a snapmare, and she literally starts holding her back. And I seem to remember, remember at the time that, I, that she picked up a back injury, and I think it was here. Because, like, literally, the, the match just goes slows way down it, i have noted that but um the commentators were going after um iwatami's knee that she had um surgically repaired yeah. uh, before this i'm not sure to, I'm, i can't remember the time how, it how was close it was but it's very yes yeah, slow yeah something something went wrong here i think she takes the she takes the back bump off the snapmare is holding her back and she must say something to kelly klein because they immediately she immediately goes after um, Mayu's knee, mm. um, and as I say, it was there was a lot of I, I have in my notes a lot of mat work in front of an uninterested crowd. Um, I mean, like um, Mayu tried getting the crowd into it a little bit. There was a big crossbody to the outside. Yeah, um, it just didn't work. I think the, the crowd were just yeah. not up for this, and the actual and it was made all the better after the match as well because they, we'll they were certainly all happy to. They were certainly happy to. God we'll get to it. So, um, yeah, I had a couple of notes about the match. Um, Kelly Klein takes the shittest bump from a poison Hurricane Rana I've ever seen in my life. To be honest, that's literally word for word what I've got written. <laughs> I put in a accident question mark. <laughs> to be honest with you, it's it's kind of even calling it a bump. She almost sort of like rolled back as if she was trying to do a backwards yeah. roll. Yeah. Um, and then um, there was a released German suplex that um, I think Mayu was trying to flip over for and just sort of like land on her front and she very nearly landed on her head. Um, and then Ke- uh, Kelly Klein hits two AAs, two attitude adjustments, which she calls something or other. I don't K- know. I didn't chase K- it. K-Powers. k Fucking hellfire. Yeah. So she, she hits one normal one and then one with an aeroplane spin uh, to win the to win the match and the title at 10 minutes 38. Um, I literally had in my notes, like, God bless them. They did try, but, you know, it was just, it was there. It really was there. I actually feel sorry for both of these two women because they're not bad wrestlers. They're not bad oh, draws. The- they do it. They work good, and I think they deserved a lot more. But at the end of the day, when you see the card, that's one of them things, isn't it? There was I, I saw glimpses of what um, Mayu Ibutani can do, um, but just literally just like Kelly Klein just like couldn't keep up with her. So like Mayu had to slow it down to a pace that she was comfortable with, yeah. which just adversely affected the match. It really did. Yeah. Um, and this uh, post-match that you're talking about, 
Oh, uh, shit. So, so <laughs> like, Kelly Klein is in the ring crying with the belt, which, you know, to be honest with you, maybe someday she'll have kids and literally it'll just be a case of, Mom, you won a championship in Madison Square Garden. Can we watch that match? No. Do you really think? <laughs> do you really think she's gonna want to show her kids this match, particularly yeah, with what gonna, goes on in this after? She's gonna stop it straight after. I guarantee you that before these two wonderful people come down the <laughs> down the ramp. It's Angelina Love and Velvet Sky. Yay! And you can hear the crowd just sort of like going, "I'm sorry." It's 2019, not 2009. This, this again. This, is, this, <laughs> this isn't again. TNA. This isn't oh. TNA. And it was literally, well, I didn't make the note until sort of like late into the next match, but it was actually sort of like here that I had note. Has Vince Russo taken over the booking of Ring of Honor? Because it, <laughs> it was literally just a case of... They're there. <laughs> they turn up and guess what? They were, you know... I don't want to. I don't really want to call TNA popular, but you know it did have a fan base. They were popular in their own way ten years ago, but that was ten years ago. You you can't just present them. Is on... being popular in TNA a good thing? Well, <laughs> around that time, just saying. Well, there's there's a good popular in TNA and a bad popular in TNA. They which, were bad you know... popular. I'm sorry. <laughs> They were. Let's be honest. And by the way, Velvet Sky, the only reason you were on this pay the only reason you were near Ring of Honor is because your boyfriend, Bully Ray, is actually in it himself. And, I think much, he pulls the, yeah. and he pulls the strings, let's be honest. That is the only reason she and Love are here. Yes. End of. And, like, Angelina Love is there because she's mates, she's mates with Velvet Sky. So, like, literally, they confront Kelly Klein, Mandy Leone comes off of commentary, and they beat her up, and they get the lipstick... And they do the fucking anarchy symbol on the forehead. I've written, why, why the anarchy sign? That's the anarchy sign. Can't yeah. give your own sort of A, for God's sake. Oh, no, it's 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 their it's their logo for their uh, their faction. The Allure. About as imaginative as I expect from them. About as imaginative as PCB. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, actually, no, actually, because, you know, the Allure, they actually have to, they have to think up of a, you know, a striking word. PCB, Let's... PCB, they just took the first initials of the first names from Becky Lynch, Charlotte and Paige. So, Let's you know, be honest, they, they looked for a dictionary and they got yes. AL and thought, right, that'll do. Off we go. And they looked through, they looked through a thesaurus of just sort of like, what, what's an identical word for uh, glamorous, uh, alluring, allure money. We are the allure, yeah. Yeah. And it's worked so well. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah, it was horrid. The I crowd. Ate. Instantly I felt, shit on this. Yeah. And rightfully so. Felt awful for Kelly Klein because this is her moment. She's won yeah. the, the title. At, oh, and do you know what was the most most tragic thing? She's still sort of like she, you know, after the after the allure go up and they're standing on the you know the ramp and they're just going. Oh look at her, she's she, a winner. She still goes and she goes she's and celebrates. She's still got with this A on her fucking head. Yeah, and she's oh, there. No. She's there. She's there posing with the title. I'm like, oh, no. You've got an A on your head, love. Come on. <laughs> you just want to be like an Irish mammy. You're just sort of like, oh, you've got slob all over you. Let get me get down from there now. What you playing at? Get down from there now. Come around here. 
let me wipe that shit off your face. Anyway, that's, <laughs> a, that's, just, that's the sound of it. Let me get a wet ski towel. You can't be going out like that. So people will think you're weird. I hear you're a racist now, Velvet. Anyway. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Um, oh, Ring of Honor's... Uh, so Caprice Colbin joins the commentary booth. Um, and... Oh, fuck me. This next fucking bit. Oh, Christ. Again, another moment where I thought, oh, Make-A-Wish are doing a fantastic effort right now. I was like... So I- out, out next is a billboard artist who, and I have the quote here from Ian Riccoboni, Ring of Honor play-by-play announcer, has perfected the art of nerdcore rap. What the fuck is nerdcore rap? I, I, I did <laughs> Is it I'm like a, hard... I'm a got- I'm a balding white guy. I have no idea. <laughs> I'm guessing it's called nerdcore rap, and it's, I'm guessing it's hardcore rap for nerdlingers. Yeah. I don't know. Again, it just guy walked out, and I was just like, Yeah, Megaran. Uh, Never uh, heard of him. Megaran is that his name? I didn't even clock his name. Yeah. Mega- I literally put some rapper I do not know. Full stop. Very annoying. Full stop. Nobody cared. Yeah. Instantly get booed. <laughs> He starts rapping. I started sighing. Um, it was very awkward, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. His performance was very awkward. Well, <laughs> I, mean, like... I mean, the thing is, it's just sort of like he comes out and he's like, yeah, I want to perform this. Uh, I want to perform this song for uh, to, that was specifically wrote for this uh, for this event. And it was literally it had the same it had the same effect as sort of like, you know, um, Oh, it's like new. Well, no, not new kids on the block. I seem <laughs> to remember there being like an early WrestleMania where, you know, um, you know, one of these like dance, dance rap groups, you know, sort of like oops, upside your head said oops, upside your head. They're literally there and they have a fucking concert with like DJ Dex in the middle of the ring. And they're literally, if this was literally a case of. When I say when I say G1, you say Supercard, and everyone just going, "Will you shut the fuck up?" G1. <laughs> that was it. That was literally the, even the crowd are turning around, going, "Is anyone else gonna?" No, we're not doing this. Okay, who are you again? It, it was so awkward. I felt I, I felt sorry for the guy, but then I oh, didn't. I felt sorry for because the guy because he he clearly he clearly felt confident in not yeah. confident it, confident in his music. Not mm-hmm. confident in going out there because he knew. Yeah. <laughs> I think he knew that no one was going to give a shit. And yeah. as soon as Bully Ray comes down here, which is it's also it's always planned as well. Yeah. I I got a thing. I added my notes. I added my notes. Oh look, another byproduct from a previous TNA era comes out. <laughs> Fucking. But, no, I'm I'm sorry, but much like the Beautiful People, well past his sell-by date. He was prominent. Well, let's see, it's 2019. So he was prominent like six years ago as the leader of Aces and Eights, who, you know, I doubt you could say was a thing. It wasn't really that much of a popular thing, to be honest with you. It, but, hey, tried, it tried to be a thing. But so yeah. is that. that. That sums up TNA and Impact. They tried. <laughs> They're trying. They tried to be a, they tried to be a thing, but, you know, God bless them. They're like the wrestling make a wish. Um, <laughs> Just helping them out. I, uh, I, I have in mind, well, he comes out and just basically, so, so this Megaran dude is like, come on, bully. You know, this is the second time you've done this. 
So you're telling me there was a time before this where they attempted the exact same thing? Which is, I sort of think there was people in the crowd that knew that, which is why it got the reaction it got. Well, what, 10 people? Because, <laughs> right, let's be honest, people. Can you honestly say, if Ring of Honor and Ring of Honor alone was doing a show in Madison Square Garden, would they have sold out? The answer is no. The majority oh, of these fans have not. come for New Japan Pro Wrestling. Not like, come to see you, Billy. Not come to no. see you, Billy. So, Which um, reflects in, well, what's happening to Ring of Honor now. But anyway. Yeah, well, well, I've got notes on that for towards the end of the show. So, yeah, this Megaran dude um, is just basically scared off by Bully. Well, Bully Ray pushes him. This Megaran dude actually gets in his face. And then, yeah. like, Ray just kicks him out. There was a bit where I thought, hang on a minute, is this a work or is this turning to a shoot? Because Bully gets his chain from rounds his neck and proper goes for him. Yeah. Like, and, it, like, not like uh, you always see him with the chain, you know, they balance it out so it hits something behind them so it looks like it's hitting them, but it's not, and they stomp the feet. This was a proper whipping him with the chain yeah it was proper full of anger and i thought hang on a minute was that a, a bit of a shoot there have we seen something we're not meant to see there well i mean to be honest with you it doesn't really take that much to piss off bully ray like i'm reminded of the story of when um stacy keebler first came into the wwe and um she he was doing something in the mirror and she <laughs> walked in front of him and was literally fixing her hair in same in the same mirror as Bully Ray, and he got really pissed off about it apparently. So you uh, know, you know, it, 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 uh, something tells me it doesn't take that much to piss him off. I don't know. I don't know. It might just be me. Um, <laughs> it's definitely not you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So he just basically had an open challenge for a New York City street fight. It was initially meant to be Juice Robinson, but Juice Robinson was laid out backstage. So it's instead answered by Flip Gordon. Love Uh, Flip. Flip Flip Gordon is, well, it was quite an entertaining character because like quite a lot of his backstory was told really well on the early days of being the elite. And, um, the, 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 the it was his like main story was focused around whether he would get on um the all in show which was sort of like the prototype um the, the prototype tape pay-per-view before all elite wrestling was started up um and sort of like the main the main story was flip trying to get booked on the show but cody being the arsehole that he was at the time in character was just literally cutting him off at every single avenue. And the way he got on the show was being a masked wrestler in an over-the-top battle royal to, ironically, earn a Ring of Honor title shot later on in the night. Uh, And he won it, and that's how he got into the show. But, you know, it was just a case of, you know, the week-by-week story of, you know, him constantly getting cut down, but trying still trying to find new ways. Um, It was you know, entertaining in its own way. But that's my only real experience with Flip Gordon. Mm. Um, so, yeah, about uh, almost immediately, 
Bully Ray does his best impression of John Cena and literally bellows out a spot where he catches Flip Gordon in midair with a bubba cutter. Do, 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 do. Like, literally, like, <laughs> Flip's about to jump out of the corner and you literally hear Bubba go, Cutter! And then he immediately hits him <laughs> with a bubba cutter. I was like, for fuck's sake. And then, um, literally, two minutes goes by and in runs uh, Silas Young and Shane Taylor. Um, now, Silas Young billed as sort of like the last real man in professional wrestling. And I remember he um, he had like a tag team with the he had like a tag team with the Beer City Bruiser, and they would sort of do like vignettes where Silas Young would teach him how to do all these sort of like manly things, you know, like change a tire, um, you know, squeeze. It's just basically doing the same thing that um, Stephen Regal did with his real man's man gimmick, but He's it was just sort of like under the, under the ring of honor. Such um, a man. Anyway, love that. Love that. Oh, it's a fantastic. <laughs> I always remembered. Always remember um, one of the times when WWE was over in the UK and um, Daniel Bryan had a match with William Regal. Oh, they ripped him, didn't they? they yeah. Ripped him. <laughs> literally, it's like you know his normal William Regal theme. And literally halfway through, you get clonk. He's a man. <laughs> And Daniel Bryan's wetting himself. Regal finds it really funny. Wetting himself. Oh, it was was really funny. It was really funny, yeah. Yeah. Um, So that's Silas Young. Uh, Shane Taylor, the only experience I have of Shane Taylor is he was initially in a tag team with Keith Lee when they first came into Ring of Honor. Um, Yeah. And then um, Keith Lee has gone on to pastures in NXT and the like. Yeah. so yeah, they beat up on Flip. They stretch him out over the table. Bully's gonna rack, whack him with a kendo stick, and out comes uh, Mark Haskins and Juice Robinson. Juice is recovered. Basically says that why don't we turn this from a single New York City street fight into a six-man New York City street fight? And this is literally where I had in my notes that Vince Russo had taken over the booking duties. <laughs> Obviously, I, I meant to put it earlier. What shocked me was Juice completely no-sold the fact that he was laid out not 10 minutes ago. Yeah. I mean, not even wait, so. wait, you were dead. You were dead. Yeah. You were dead, oh, mate. Do you, know, do you know what? This this reminded me so much of that Royal Rumble where um, Roma was in at number one and he'd been taken out by, you know, the... Um, you know, this this the international party. It was like Wade Barrett, Seamus. Oh, what were they called? I can't remember. The World Elite. The World Elite, is that it? Or was that the TNA thing? No, that was the T- that was the TNA thing. Uh, oh, do you know what? I'm going to have to fucking look this up now. Because this, it, it, otherwise it's going to really, really annoy me. Uh, let's it's, see. It's, a le- it's going to be, it's a league. It's going to be the league of something then. Oh, it's the League of Nations. League of Nations. League of Nations. Which was Barrett, Rusev, Sheamus, and Del Rio. And ADR. Yeah. ADR, yes. Um, basically the Un-Americans again. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so, yeah, they'd taken out Roman Reigns. Roman Reigns was, well, they were, t- they were going to cast him out, but Roman just ended up walking to the back and then just appeared like 20 minutes, half an hour later and no, and had no sold everything. Bearing in mind, sort of like in the same, in exactly the same match, Kevin Owens, who in the opener had 
gone through two tables because of um, Dean Ambrose, John Moxley, as he's known nowadays, literally came out and was literally dragging himself to the ring. <laughs> and it was just sort of like, I, I, I don't know why, but you just saying that of Juice not selling this, it just reminded me of, you know, Superman Roman. But if, he ca- if he came out with like some kind of like bandaging or something like that, or like even a neck brace, make, make a little bit of effort. Yeah, but he just walked out. Yeah, and it was just like, hang on, you you were hurt, so you 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 not coming out. I mean, what what the yeah. hell? But it 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 works in the end. It works in the end. Um, I also have in my notes, Bully Ray uh, channel, channeling his inner Shelly Martinez when pulled into the ring uh, ring post, just goes, oh my balls. <laughs> I haven't noted that down. I've not mentioned Shelly and what Shelly Martinez. That's a fucking good one. Yeah, you know, the famous one, the famous uh, bit in TNA where uh, Shelly Martinez gets hit in the uh, in the bread basket. You know, the women's bread basket, and she the just the women's bread basket. Well, you know, well it interferes from the spot because, like, immediately when she gets hit there, she just she just starts selling by screaming, "My vag, my vag." <laughs> I remember watching that now and going, okay, <laughs> don't scream that. Please yeah. don't scream that. <laughs> no, that's something you don't scream. No. Um, so yeah, he, oh, he, which... did, he did this not once but twice. Um, I, I, I honestly didn't have, bar the finish, I had no notes for this because it was just... The, it the was kendo got... sticks, uh, the kendo shots that Flip takes. Oh, oh. he literally starts bleeding down his back. Yeah, and that was almost the start of this match. Mm. And he, he, they looked awful. Yeah, they looked awful. And <laughs> credit to him because he must have been in such shit pain. Well, to, to be honest with you, he's a former former marine. He is, so yeah. I guarantee he's probably. He's probably experienced a hell of a lot worse. What I but, also found was uh, really, really funny. Um, t- uh, <laughs> Shane Taylor was setting up a table and the crowd starts chanting, you're not Devon. <laughs> <laughs> they do this not once, but twice to yeah. him. <laughs> really Which is terrible. ironic because I thought, the chant- I thought they were saying, we want Devon. No, they're chanting, you're not Devon. Yeah. Um, I think I managed to get, uh, we got close to the crowd, and obviously you hear someone say it quite clearly, saying, you're not Devon. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, New York City isn't without its racists. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> well, we're banned from New York City now. <laughs> Good luck getting in there. Well, okay. Um, yeah, I'd literally, the finish of this match is Flip Gordon hits a 450 splash on Bully and wins it. Yeah. Start to finish, this entire thing went nearly 25 minutes. Too long. Oh, you're freaking telling me. And do you know what? It's doubly annoying because it eats into the next match. And the next match is fucking amazing. Yeah. The next match is uh, Dragon Lee, uh, Taji Ishimori. And Bandido for the IWGP Junior Heavyweight title, yeah. I believe. Oh, I love these three. Oh, this was a. Me- yeah. I love these three. Uh, uh, heard of Bandido? I've not seen much of Dragon Lee. Seen plenty of Ishimori to know what that boy's about. Taiji Ishimori, I'd heard things about when he was in Noah, and when he got signed to New Japan, I was like, okay, right. 
just sounds really freaking good. And then he had an awesome match with Hiromu Takahashi in the finals of that year's Best of Super Juniors. And I was like, right, okay, yeah, this guy is fucking great. Um, Dragon Lee is, well, he's predominantly, well, he was CMLL. He is signed to Ring of Honor in this moment in time. Um, when we were recording it in um, May of 2020. Uh, so he is best known, I would say, unfortunately, for being involved in a match with said Hiromu Takahashi, where he dropped, where he got dropped literally on the top of his skull and broke his oh, neck. Yeah. And was out for pretty much, pretty much 18 months. At least, I was going to uh, say at least two years, year and a half. So Hiromu, uh, there's, there's Clips of available of it on YouTube for all you sadistic motherfuckers that want to check it out. Uh, it is fucking disgusting. Yeah, watch it scream. Yes. <laughs> watch it and go, ah, which is ironic because there will be another um, Japanese ah. wrestler that I talk about that was involved in a future incident that will, that will make you go, ah. Um, Bandido. Bandido, I only really sort of like started seeing in... Um, you know the little preview packages that Pro Wrestling Gorilla have on their YouTube page? Uh-huh. He started showing up on there, and I was just literally a case of, okay, this guy, this, you know, this guy's like your, your typical innovative luchador, but I think his look is really cool. Cause it's, it's new. It's something that, it's a it's very a diff- new look. It's yeah. a different look, because the thing is, you've got, you know, these, these Mexican luchadors, like... Ray Horace and Flamita and, you know, initially Ray Phoenix until Ray Phoenix changes look up a little bit. But of just sort of like, you know, mask and just normal tights. And yeah. you just sort of like you look completely interchangeable with each other. Whereas Bandido, he has the long, greasy hair. He's got the mask, but it's also got sort of like a front front mask bit. Yeah. So, yeah. Like, a, yeah. Yeah. Like, like a, a, band, a bank, like a band, bank robber thing, yeah. Yeah, like a bandana, bandana thing across the face, and it's just a, it's a really cool, cool look. Um, I just have in my notes three great junior heavyweights who are doing too much to make notes for, and I, I didn't really make too many notes for uh, for this one because it was just it was very spot after spot after spot, but it was all very very in quick succession. Yeah. Um, well, it was great. It was great. Don't get me wrong. It was, it was just really very good. quick. Yeah. These guys it, know what they were doing. These it guys was a, it was a it was a complete spot fest, but it was an amazing spot fest. Yeah. Um, Caprice Coleman on commentary actually made a really good point. Um, the fact that yeah they do all these uh, high flying stuff, but they're also all three of them have sort of like a power background to them, which you know sort of like is instrumented with sort of like different variations of suplexes that's a showcased in the match which was really really cool to see Ban- bandido at one point has both ishimori and uh, dragon lee on the top rope oh and my he, and he just, it, I, I i i panicked when i was trying to describe it and i've just written uh a bit of bandido kicks uh, both then carries both over his head for a super moonsault body slam i just got that excited i thought that's what it is that's the closest thing i can describe it as a I called it, it a double amazing. I it called it a, amazing. I called it a double back flipping fallaway slam from the top rope, which was a hell of an impressive move. A hell of an impressive move, and I probably would have been more impressed had I not seen an old um, 
Steiner Brothers match from WCW in 1992 because um, it's known for being quite stiff. They're in there with like two New Japan guys, uh, Tatsumi Fujinami and Takeshi Azuka. Um, and it's known for just sort of like being this really sort of like stiff, hard hitting mm. um, match. It was quite entertaining, actually. Um, and Scott Steiner did the same move that Bandido does in this match, but he did it from a standing position. Mm. And he, did, he actually did it twice because the first wow. first wow, wow, first wow. move, the first move he bot- the first time he tried it, he botched it and very nearly landed on his head. But like the second time he does it, he like literally does like a full moonsault flip and lands it perfectly. Um, this was, I believe, one of the shortest matches on the card. Yeah, it only went eight minutes fifty-four. That's watch this match. Uh, I implore you to watch this match. Mm. If this went on for another at least five to ten minutes, these these boys would have taken it. These yeah. boys would have taken that night. And it, I think it they was sort of did already, but yeah. Yeah, it was just a shame that it was so short, and I think that's why they went at the pace that they went at. Whereas I think if they if there was an extra sort of like five, maybe ten minutes, they probably could have like slowed it down a bit and probably got even in even more than they did. Mm. Um, so yeah, the finish comes when um, Dragon Lee uh, knees Ishimori out the ring, and then he ends up hitting Bandido with a deadlift suplex into a sit-out powerbomb, uh, pins him to win the title. As I say, eight minutes fifty-four. It was quite mad at times, and I just wanted to see more of it because yeah. I think know. that's the only criticism there. But it's all you can say is it wasn't their fault because you know the last match itself from bell to bell, well segment to segment went nearly twenty five minutes, and uh, you know really yeah. really quite annoying. It did, um, and, and I was got I'm just gonna say about the uh, the the bully ray open challenge for it didn't really set up or lead on to anything else. No, it's, it was just it, there. It was just there. Enough, and, and I hate it when things are simply just put there. If they work and they turn out great, fine, fair enough, I'll eat my words, whatever. Mm-hmm. But this was just, just put there for the sake of being there. Yes. And for the sake of 25 minutes, you can look back on that paper and think, right, could we put... Could we take 10 minutes off that segment? Where else could we have put that? And I think you'd have put all 10 minutes on uh, Dragon yeah. Lee, Ishimori and Bandido. And yeah, that's my only criticism of this uh, this, this this bit. Yes. Uh, so we'll get on to match number six. It's a four-corner survival tag match for both the Ring of Honor and IWGP tag team titles. The Ring of Honor tag team champs representing Villain Enterprises, PCO and Brody King. The IWGP champions, uh, Tamatonga Tangaloa, the Grills of Destiny. Uh, also is Mark and Jay, the Briscoes. And the fourth team is Evil and Sonada. Um, now, PCO, the former Pierre Carl Oulette, the um, one of the members of the Quebecers in WWF in the mid-90s. He was also Jean-Pierre Lafitte as well in the new generation, who had a whole month angle feud with Brett the Hitman Hart, all based around the fact that PCO nicked Brett Hart's jacket. <laughs> and that was that was that was the uh, That was that, that, yeah. That was that's, the context that's of the story. That. Um th- like I'll mention it here. PCO, he's fifty one years old and he does 
four things in this match, and pretty much every single one of them involves a flip. Now, people call out Will Ospreay for being a fucking spot monkey. PCO is a freaking spot monkey. <laughs> Let me tell you something. It, but he somehow pulls it off. I don't know how. He but somehow it, because didn't of his die. Age, it's because of his age. I believe he's blind in one eye as well. Yeah. Um, because of his age and uh, the 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 power bomb that he takes from the uh, God. Oh. On, from inside the ring to the outside, and it, you hear the foot. I know they've got those little bloody mat things, but Jesus, wet. That's like a, a what? I, I don't know how many feet that drop is, but it's what. It was, it was a stupid fucking bump. It was it's, a. St- stupid bump because the thing is like we'll just say this people like the match is just there it's a collection of moves like you know in and out you know each tag team gets a chance to do their own bits so um the gorillas destiny um get pco up in double power bomb and they literally power bomb him from from the ring over the top rope to the floor his body splats on the fucking floor. It was mad. It was dangerous. It was, well, it was somewhat stupid because PCO just sort of like sat up and I was like, if you no sell this fucking powerbomb, I'm just done. I'm done. <laughs> he did but, no, I just, he got back up a foot. He, he kicked up like a cane and the Undertaker would like, sat, yeah, oh my God, I'd, I'd be led on me back for at least a month. He sat up. He sat up. He went ah, and then just slopped back down again. It was like, what was the point of freaking sitting up from from it? Because you're just taking away from this from from this ridiculous freaking move that you know is well. But you know, I realise it's Madison Square Garden, but for fuck's sake, man, you're 51 years old. Don't be taking a flat back bump over the top rope. The thing with, with nothing to break your fall thing is with pco is he's got the taste of this um when he does something extra uh, freaking painful extra like like that and the uh, sentons onto the apron he get there must be some kind of addictive buzz he's got from it that makes him want to keep doing it well the thing is it, it doesn't really help that we've professional <clears throat> professional wrestling given in many ways how it is that a lot of fans clamour for this sort of stuff. Yeah. Which is a shame, really. Um, yeah, it, 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 as I say, there was a lot of moves, a lot of, you know, each tag team got a chance to do bits and pieces in the ring. But to be honest with you, the only time the crowd popped were for the big spots that PCO did. Yeah. I mean, you know, there was nothing else really going on. They were keen for him when he was making his entrance in the uh, the, the 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 electric chair. Yeah. And everything was sort of built around him. Mm. If you know what I mean, I think that he's, he had that such big hype when he was doing all these spots, and he was getting really good momentum. And it was, I did feel it was really built up for around him. for him. This match yes. was for him. Uh-huh. That's what I believe. Yeah. Regardless of who won. <laughs> Um, so the finish comes. Um, uh, Brody King gets a um, kendo stick shot to the back. Tamatonga hits him with a gun stun, 
And then there's a suplex into a top rope powerbomb. And the grill is a destiny win in 9.45. Um, before we get onto the post-match, because I, I had a feeling you were going to jump the gun. I just happened. had... Yeah. Um, <laughs> I literally had in my notes, it was nothing special. It was literally just a bunch of moves and the crowd weren't that into it. All these tag teams in here are very, very good tag teams. Oh, yeah. Um, um, well, very, very good. But I do feel, like I said before, this was built up and around for PCO to do his thing mm-hmm. while the others just did something in the background. Yeah. So PCO would do something incredible and the crowd was like, ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they slowly die down when that allowed the other guys to do their things and still get a reaction, some sort of. Then when it died down completely, PCO did something else, built mm-hmm. it back up, and then it died slowly back down. It was it was sort of like that. Yeah. Um, Again, I, I do think these four teams could do much more. I th- is nine minutes, 45 seconds long enough for a four-way tag match? I mean, it depends what you do with it, to be honest with you. Especially, especially again, it's like we said before, that Bully Ray segment took, and you can even argue, the, the end of the women's match. Because that was a good three or four minutes, surely. Yeah. Um. You can argue that even spread those minutes out, put them in the, the tag match and put them with Dragon Lee and Ishimori and Bandido, you would get more of, bang for your buck. There was a lot of wasted time when it comes to sort of like the Ring of Honor side of things. Yeah. A oh, hell of a yeah. lot of wasted time. Uh, and then, and then, immediately, as soon as this bell rings, <laughs> there's a little, uh, there's a little confrontation that, uh, there's a little brouhaha at ringside is what i'll say um <laughs> yeah these the cameras do their best um but you know the commentary basically give it give it away so much you know by going oh there's the stuff happening at ringside but you know we don't really want to acknowledge it you know you know the age-old thing of just sort of like of <laughs> trying to trying to make trying to make sure that you don't sort of pass this off as a work but you work yourself so much that it stands out head or tails of being a work yeah. now we should probably um should probably make mention that uh, a certain enzo amore and big Cass jumped the barricade and they started getting into a fist fisticuff with the uh, the briscoe brothers which in turn brought out bully ray um which in turn took the entire Entire focus off the fact that the Grills of Destiny have won both tag team titles, um, which, you know, (laughs) I heard very much piss them off. Um, (laughs) So this little thing here was a well, actually, I've got I've got the quotes here. So Enzo Amore and Big Cass, they invaded, uh, they jumped the barricade um, they tried to pass it off as a shoot, but you could tell instantly, um, you know, as much as they wanted to shy away from it, that this was a work. And the the story behind it was that Enzo Amore got a call from a executive in charge of Sinclair Media, who own Ring of Honor, and said that they wanted to do this, this you know, invasion make it look like a shoot 
and that would subsequently lead to them being brought in to Ring of Honor Wrestling. Now, the problem is, is that throughout the entirety of Ring of Honor, when it comes to sort of like production, um, wrestlers in the locker room, all of that, there was a total of three people in the entire company who knew anything about it. None of the security knew, which is why they were able to get over the barricade so easily because they thought it was part of the show. Um, obviously, no one in the audience knew about it because immediately there was big chance of fuck you, Enzo. And um, most importantly, there was nobody in New Japan Pro Wrestling that knew about this. Yeah, I was going to say no one at New Japan really knew, which could, you could clearly see it pissed Tamatong. I've never seen G.O.D. look so pissed in my lifetime. Mm. But to be honest, if Enzo Amore jumps over me... Right, let's just get this out of the way now. Big Cass, like what you're doing, Matt, I understand he's gone from some mental health stuff over the the, the last couple of years since uh, the WE thing, so I I wish him well. Um, the, The guy's got a bit of charisma about him. He seems like a nice guy. Enzo, stop. You, uh, well, whatever you're you doing, a, Enzo, with its wrestling, rapping, uh, Instagram, stand-up comedy, just, just, just stop. You have <laughs> enough money to just live out your life. I'm sure in in a country somewhere, uh, but but just, just stop. Please, you, just, just, just are stop. <laughs> are you familiar with wrestling, Supam? I am. Yes. Yeah. Do you remember the episode that they did when they found out that Enzo Amore was wanting to do stand-up comedy? And they literally just had a entire episode of just, you know, doing the Enzo Amore stick with my, uh, we're going into stand-up comedy. Hello? Is this is this thing on? <laughs> I've come to see laughing. Actually, it was a shoot on top of the work because en- what Enzo really wanted to do was just sort of like, you know, Try a stand-up routine and just say, "Hey, I did uh, I did stand-up comedy in uh, Madison Square Garden, and uh, you know, it, they, they didn't get it. They weren't laughing." He he talks so much shit. Oh, he, the the man talks shit for the sake of talking. The fact shit. the fact that the fact that he once tried comparing himself and Cass to the Road Warriors is evidence enough that you know. You know, there's a lot of people out there just sort of like going, oh, I think it's an act. You know, I think it's an act. You know, there's there's evidence there. He's a he's quite a smart man. I really don't think he is. Where's where's this evidence? (laughs) Well, he's a very bright individual, according to uh, people who have worked with him before in WWE. It was just a case of his his personality and his attitude that were were his problem. Um, Do you know? Go on. Do you know that they were going that they were going for a um for new ring names? I did not know. Yeah. So Enzo oh, Mori. Go on, tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me. <laughs> so Enzo Mori's new ring name would be Enzo, and it was spelled lowercase N, capital Z, lowercase O. Get it? Right. Okay. <sighs> <laughs> Get it? Because it sounds like Enzo, but it's spelled differently. You say, the N and the Z and the, you say the N and the Z and the O. Ugh, shit, that <laughs> fucking guy. Fuck me. Come, you laughing. <laughs> the, 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 guy's a, the guy, I don't like seeing people laughed at, but he, he, he gets laughed at and oh, he gets... 
he's a he's a walking talking living joke yes please stop and it's talking shit trying to generate hype for yourself because you think you're some sort of celebrity stop talking shit it's 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 funny it's funny to take the piss out of as well because you know he hasn't done anything hasn't done anything major yet he's just you know attempted rap attempted stand-up comedy even attempted rock at one point uh you know, with but his, how many uh, think how many things is he going to try before he learns that he's not fucking good at anything? Well, you know, there's 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 quite a long list of stuff that you can do in media, so you know. Oh, don't can someone like burn that list and not give it him? So you know, that's uh, that's that's that was Enzo's new ring name. Do you want to know what Cat Big Cass's new ring name is going to be? Would it be Cas XL or something like that? Yes, it would. Right, so there we go. So, so uh, it's spelt lowercase <laughs> C. Lowercase a, and then the rest is capital Z X L. Get it? Because he's because he's big case, you know. He's big big case. How come he's laughing? This is this is gold. This is pure comedy gold. There is a, a an 18 minute clip on YouTube of Simon Gotch or Simon Grimm, absolutely telling so many stories about Enzo. Mm. And you realise what an absolute utter like fuckwit he is. Um, yeah. So, yeah, this was supposed to be the catalyst for Enzo and Cass to come in. But the backlash to this, the backlash to this was so extreme that they did. Well, according to Enzo Amore, they literally got ghosted because they were meant to. This was their sort of like big Ring of Honor debut. They were meant to show up at the Ring of Honor pay-per-view that was in June and then sort of like be brought in from there. And yeah. Did Ring of Honor just cut the losses and ran for the hills? I mean, wouldn't you, Evenzo? Wouldn't well, you? Well, I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have done this to begin with because this is the straw that breaks the cam- camel's back. I think with a majority of people who would have been watching for New Japan, but you know they would have thought, oh, Ring of Honor's there. You know they've mm. had a they've had a backload of talent come through and who have, you know gone off and done big things in WWE or, you know, like New Japan or whatever, you know, I'd be willing to see what's what's going on. And, yeah, they're, they're sort of, like, presented with that and, you know, they expect you to fall for the fact that, yeah, this is a shoot, but when in actuality isn't actually bringing these guys in. And, yeah, you're just fucking insulting, insulting the viewer's intelligence, and you know, yeah. just sort of like alienating a potential fan base. And we haven't even got to the world title match yet. Um. <laughs> well, look, Ring of Honor makes some absolutely horrific decisions here. But oh, yeah. This, but to have someone, I mean, Enzo and Cass weren't exactly popular at this point. They didn't have the momentum they had, say, when they came from NXT onto Raw, and people were going no. like the 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 Raw after Mania. Yeah, doing the shtick. This was when Enzo Amore's reputation, not saying that Big Cass's was, but especially Enzo's, Big Cass has always been, I think he's been held in relative high regard in the wrestling world. Well, I mean, but, what, well, the, the thing is, sort of like the latter stages of Big Cass's career, when they tried to give him a singles push, they um, they gave him the feud with, with, with Daniel Bryan. Mm. And I think there was, there was a case where he very nearly... Well, he very nearly always sort of like hurts Daniel Bryan when he was working with him in the ring. 
And then there was literally a case of sort of like attitude problems when, to be honest with you, looking back over that feud, that when you're sort of like giving him material of just sort of like beating up a midget that's dressed up like Daniel Bryan, <laughs> it's, you know. It's not going to do him any good, is it? No. Well, it's, it's not It's not going to help someone who who apparently, according to the corporation that's given him this shit to work with, apparently has attitude problems. I mean, to be honest, I'd have attitude problems if I was given the material that he had. Well, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, I forgot in the confusion of all this, uh, Toriano came out and made off with the IWGP title. <laughs> yeah, God bless. That was really because there's a bit where you just see him still on the ramp. And then he slowly, from behind his back, pulls the uh, uh, the tag titles and just slowly walks off with them. Puts it's them really fun. It's, it's really lit- funny. Yeah, well, it, it's literally just one of those that it's in the background because it isn't the main focus. Like, everybody just isn't paying attention to Yarno. And, like, literally, they're, they're cutting from shot to shot, you know, sort of like they'll show the ring you can still see the brawl going around the outside so they cut to sort of like a shot of you know the, the titan tron that's above where you know sort of like the screens would be for like a basketball game or whatever then they cut to the commentators you can still you can see fucking big cast towering over everybody else and you know this you was around hear about... enzo just fucking shouting all sorts of oh is this is this thing on <laughs> my hand is a microphone get it because it's got a, I've got a microphone tattooed on my hand. Shut up. <laughs> I, I, I can't. He's that little. Uh, you know when you've got a fly in the room and just trying to whiz it away and it's just yes. going buzz. Yeah. He yeah. is that. That's Enzo Amore, but it's Italian. So <gasps> this, this literal, this like whole rigmarole, this whole shoot. No, it isn't a shoot. Lasted nearly three and a half minutes, oh. and it just fucking. It pissed, it pissed this crowd off so fucking much. Because they saw they saw right through it. Oh, yeah. Straight, they saw right, and thank God they did. They saw right through yeah. this. Yeah. Showed. It showed. Oh, it did indeed. It did indeed. Anyway. Moving on, please. Match number seven is for the Rev Pro British Heavyweight Championship. The champion, Zack Sabre Jr. against the ace of New Japan, Hiroshi Tanahashi. Um, I literally had a, I had, I had my notes, it's a Zack Sabre Jr. match, which means you get a lot of mat-based wrestling, which yeah. isn't a bad thing, because as as we said, sort of like, towards the, the start of the show, like, Zack Sabre Jr. is one of the best in the world when it comes to technical mat wrestling. I mean, it's just, it it's a joy to behold. He did, I've made a note in the transitions from move to move. Mm-hmm are so clean and are so well done that alone gets the pop that yeah. say a dive would or a, a high risk move would they are I mean, done so well by both men yeah that it, it's really really good and that was the most impressive thing about it but then again that's why i expected coming into watching this it's what i expected yeah. mm-hmm. well one of the things i love about zach saber is when like I'm reminded of the match I saw live that he had with Okada and the story of the match was basically Okada constantly trying to hit the Rainmaker on Zack Sabre and Zack Sabre pretty much countering every single time with just this amazing 
amazing contraption of like contorting Okada's body and just sort of like catching him and putting him in all these sort of like mad submission holes, which was sort of like similar here. I mean, there's there's a bit earlier on in the match where Tanahashi goes for an elbow drop from the ground and Zack Sabre literally catches him and puts him in sort of like a cross arm breaker. Yeah. And there's another bit where Tanahashi is sort of like in the skin the cat position and Zack immediately before Tanahashi can even try to skin the cat literally goes over and just starts like wrapping him up in the yeah. armor. Yeah, I've made a note of that. It was, it's such, uh, I want to say the word believable. You know mm. what I mean? It's what you would do in a fight. Yeah. I mean, it's what you would do in it. You, if you're, if you're a, a, an expert at submissions or arm bars or whatever you do, mm-hmm. you would do that. That's what you would do. And that's what Zack Sabre Jr. does so well. this joint joint manipulation the finish whatever that was at the finish looked horrific yeah well I mean it it, it reminded me of it reminded me of when um, he was in the Cruiserweight Classic like a couple of years prior and he had um, he had this he had a match with Noam Dar and he did something similar and when he literally wrenched the arm back, it literally like he'd pulled Noam Dar's shoulder out of his socket. It was pretty much exactly the same thing here with Tanahashi. Because uh, like literally, yeah. it it's the kind of submission where you literally, you wrap him up like a pretzel and you can hear the, the crowd just going, oh my fucking days. Jesus, it, he's going to fucking break something if Tanahashi doesn't quit here. And I think, his submissions are more, but if you look at something like the Walls of Jericho, say, you can sort of see where you could, that wouldn't hurt as much as maybe they put on. Yeah. Or sharpshooters. This, oh my God, it was some, it was like some kind of medieval torture device, what you did yeah. to him. It was horrible. He sort of like bends both arms straight back. This isn't like, oh, uh, slightly under the back. Yeah, he straight, bends them straight, straight behind straight his back. back. Yeah. As you would if you just held them out in front of you. Mm-hmm. Ah! <laughs> yeah. I was screaming up. My wife was doing a, a, a little skincare thing in here, and I'm screaming in the other room while this is going on, <laughs> completely interrupting these seven ladies talking <laughs> about skincare. I'm screaming in the other room. Tanahashi is almost... It was like something out of Mortal Kombat. Yeah. You just need to, like... like, like Grab back, put his foot on his back, pull his arms off, and like yeah. fatality. <laughs> <laughs> that's what yeah. I was expecting. That's what. That's why it was so good. It is so. It looks so fucking painful. Yeah. <laughs> the only real issue that I had with this match is that the main focus of Zack Saber's um, attack was to the left arm of Tanahashi. Um, but Kevin Kelly, sort of like throughout the match, had been mentioning how. Um, Tanahashi when he was wrestling in the G not the G1 the New Japan Cup he had had his um, knee targeted and that yes. was how that was how Sonada had beaten Tanahashi uh, in the New Japan Cup so it was a bit like I can't you know, remember who said it but I think someone else uh, uh, one of the other commenters sort of said trying to recover from it saying well his knee's already busted wouldn't you go after the arm now why would he go after me? That's already was, busted. I think was it was that, Capri, I think it was Caprice Coleman. Yeah. 
it was literally just a case of, well, his arm's injured anyway, so why wouldn't he just like continue to go after that injured body part? And I was Which like, thank God you said that, because it sort of, yeah, made it better. A, it was a nice way. It was a nice way of sort of, you know, covering for it. And yeah. plus it adds another element into sort of like future Tanahashi matches, because like I can remember <laughs> one of the first like series of matches that I watched of Tomohiro Ishii. Like one of the store, one of his sort of like stories throughout a G1 tournament was that early in the tournament he'd separated his shoulder, and rather than sort of like backing out of the tournament, he'd literally just sort of like taped his shoulder up to continue wrestling in the tournament. And this is this is sort of like a New Japan thing where this would, this like injury, this like working of a body part would mm. probably come into effect in sort of later matches further into the year. Which is what I I really like about New Japan. There's just a good continuity. A there's a continuity basis, and it it develops into sort of like well, there's a the storyline that's coming up in the next match that is literally just sort of like a year in the making sort of thing. Um, so yeah, it's I didn't really want to make too many notes about this match because as I say, it's pure technical wrestling. Um, you know, Tanahashi all the time is just literally trying to trying to survive really yeah um that's the the pure um torture of zack saber but is eventually caught up and as i say wrapped in wrapped up like a pretzel and tanahashi has to has to verbally submit it looked uh, awful it looked horrific (laughs) yeah it did it really did i don't think uh, i've ever screamed at a submission before (laughs) i think that's the first time scream literally screamed Mm -hmm. it was awful but good (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Um, so Zack Saber gets the win at uh, 15 minutes 14. Uh, as I say, the wrestling was really good at times. It was really, really good. But the one thing that doesn't really, the one thing that you don't get from Tanahashi matches when they're outside of the outside of Japan is the emotional connection with the crowd, and you didn't get that here because yeah. They were behind Tanahashi, but it's a different. When you're used to sort of like Tanahashi being the the centerpiece of like literally everybody is in love with him, everybody is like literally reacting to everything he does or is being done to him. It's sort of a bit of a. Te- it, it did take away a little bit from the match, but I could still appreciate the match. It was it was really good. Yeah, I think exactly same as you. He was trying to be the heel. Mm. Uh, like, like slapping in the face, you know, shoving him around. You're like, come on, then your typical heel stuff. Yeah. But again, when you see Zack Saber Jr. on the card, you know what you're gonna get. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's yeah. what we got. Yeah, that is what we got indeed. Uh, so match number eight is for the IWGP Intercontinental Title: the Golden Star Kota Ibushi against the Intercontinental Champion Tetsuya Naito. Um. The first of three promo packages that we got for the last three matches on here uh, show clips of the AJ Styles and Shinsuke Nakamura match from Wrestle Kingdom 10, show clips of Kenny Omega and show clips of Chris Jericho, just basically putting over the importance of the belt. Um, <laughs> I was saying here about sort of like a storyline that's a year in the making. And sort of Naito has put the feelers in that he wants to be the first man to hold both the IWGP world title and the intercontinental title at the same time, which, as I say, is another is like a year long story 
that mm. feeds into the uh, Wrestle Kingdom that happens in, it's, I'd say it's sort of like nine month, nine months time at this point. Um, there is a chilling line from Ibushi here when they're sort of like going through the uh, promo packages. And this is a quote. The more brutal it gets, the more fun I have when describing uh, wrestling <laughs> Naito. And I'd literally have in my notes, guarantee you'll think differently come June the 9th, which I will get into more depth at the end of this match. Um, yeah, both men are over. Both men, like this match, before they even lock up, there's like a holy shit chant. And when you yeah. think about it, it's Kota Ibushi and Tetsuya Naito fighting for a New Japan title in Madison Square Garden. It's a bit fucking mad. Yeah. You know, the, these two guys are, are over as hell. Mm-hmm. Um, great wrestlers in their own right. Great yeah. workers. Reputation around the world. Yeah. The, I, I expected the crowd to be like this. I expected mm-hmm. these guys to deliver. They did. Simple yes. as. Um, well, earlier on, there, there was, um, when they go to the outside... Um, Is this the Irish, Irish whip spot into the barricade? Yeah. And, uh, and, and trade a, gets in the way. The guy gets in the way and Naito sort of like squares up to him. <laughs> like, <laughs> get out the way. He's, he's, not, of, he's not vicious about it in his squaring up either. He's literally just a, like Naito being in character, just sort of like, what the fuck, man? It and was <laughs> Naito being Naito. Yeah. And, I sort and, of got and it was because he repeat the spot, then next thing you know, Naito's like shaking his hand. <laughs> well, I mean, I think he shakes his hand. I mean, like... With Naito being Naito, I wouldn't be surprised if he's sort of like, you know, offering his hand and then when the trainer goes to shake it, he's sort of like, yeah, fuck off. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there was... I sort of like had like a little graph that I had of um, which I labelled the nasty bump camp. Uh, the nasty bump count, I should say, um, because it's Kota Ibushi versus Tetsuya Naito. And they are known for having uh, quite quite bad just, landings on uh, just some... dropping each other on their heads. Basically. Yes, like uh, case in point, like literally five or six minutes into the match, there's a bit where uh, Naito hits what is essentially a claymore kick uh, on Ibushi, and Ibushi takes like this flat back bump and lands right on the back of his head. And it was, a fl- it was a flush, uh, it is a claymore really, isn't it? Yeah. It was a flush claymore. And it, these, these, these guys really, really let it go. The, the, uh, thing, is, the thing you've got to rem- remember as well is that Kota Ibushi has had fusion neck surgery in the past. He has had neck fusion surgery before. Like he has yeah. severely injured his neck. About very early on in his but career. He, but here he is, still really doing it. Yes. I mean, he, 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 no, these guys have no fear at all. No yeah. fear at all. I guarantee that one of these days it will catch up to him. Because it was the same thing with Katsuyori Shibata, who was another hard-hitting, like, um, strong, like strong-style-based wrestler who was, well, you know, very hard-hitting. And one of his spots that he used to do was to do a full-on grab the other guy and literally, like, literally headbutt him, right, head skull to skull. And he did this in a match with Kazuchika Okada 
in a fucking great match. It's a match I still remember to this day and I need to go back and watch. But he did this, like he did this headbutt on Okada and he cracked his skull and he like literally had a bleeding on the brain. And as soon as this, his match was completed, he was rushed straight to hospital and he very nearly died. And he no longer wrestles anymore. Like he does the, he's in charge of the um, LA Dojo in mm. Los Angeles. So it's literally just a case of one of these days he's going to take, well, to be honest with you, knowing it'll, it'll probably be the same way as, um, oh, excuse me, it'll probably be the same way that Marufuji went because Marufuji was known for, you know, taking these like horrendous bumps like right at the back of the head or right at the top of the head. And he died in the ring from just simply taking a bog standard move. Yeah, I mean, these 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 guys just won't know when to quit. And no. as much as we're loving their their matches and how they are they're, they're, they're doing and how they perform, there's a there's a there's a big big element of danger which I honestly do not think they see. I don't think they go into this match thinking, oh, I could break my neck here. I could, that's a bit risky. We should they just think, all right, let's do it. Let's yes. do it. And yes. I don't I don't think they take the risk into. Uh, into account and it look look this was a great match let's don't get us wrong this was a fantastic oh, yeah. great match both these guys are amazing but these guys could tone it down a bit and still put it on the great match they don't oh, have to yeah. keep dropping each other on exactly. the head it's sort of like their gimmick it's become their gimmick to drop yes. each other on the head they think because every time them two have to be in a match or in a ring together they have to drop each other on the head because that's what gets the crowd going. They think they have to do that to get the crowd going to get the pops that they want. But the thing is, they don't. They could they could tone it down one or two, save your careers for another ten years, lads. Exactly. Because you you're going you again, like you say, it will catch up to you. One one. I mean, look at Mick Foley for God's sake. Yes. The, the, <laughs> and the likes of Terry Funk. Yeah. Um. These guys again, maybe they were a bit, they were a bit more extreme. What with all the barbed wire and the god knows what else. Death matches but and all that. They they didn't drop, they didn't literally just drop each other on the head like almost like they every could time they were par- in the ring with each other. Paralyzed, they could be paralyzed. There's the, yeah. It just takes one of them moves to go slightly wrong, and I mean this is a, it's an inch either way on the head. Let's be honest. Well, I mean, I was gonna, I was gonna, yeah, I was gonna save it for sort of like the end of it, but they do have a rematch at the New Japan's version of SummerSlam Dominion, and there is a spot where they are out, both out on the apron, and Naito goes to give Ibushi a German suplex. Now, I think what's supposed to happen is that Ibushi is meant to flip over and just land on his front on the mats on the floor. But what happens is, is that Ibushi doesn't rotate all the way. So he lands headfirst on the apron. His body goes one way and his neck goes the other. And there is a clip of this on YouTube, as I say, for all you sadistic bastards out there that want to see it. Like, I do not know. Like, I literally, after watching this particular match, I remembered the spot and I went and watched it. And I still don't know to this day how Kota Ibushi is still alive. Because it's it's the most horrendous bump I've ever seen, and yet he's still here to this day. No, it, it, it ain't it ain't pretty, and it, yeah, 
this this boy's uh, dicing with death here. You know, you tempt, you tempt fate too many times, you piss yes. fate off, and fate's going to kick your fucking head in. Yes. And I think as much as I like Kota Ibushi uh, mm-hmm. uh, and think he's absolutely amazing, you know, I've got plaudits coming out of my arse for him. Yes. He's He's got to stop. He's got to, at the very least, just sort of tone it down. Because but the again, thing is, it comes that that PCO thing which we spoke about before, that spot thing, that thing. It's sort of a, it's like an addiction to them, I believe, mm. to to do that to their bodies and not give a shit because it gets that crowd reaction that they want, yeah. and that's what they want at the end. They want that crowd reaction. They don't care what happens to them. They want the end result. Unless he finds another way of doing it, he's not going to change soon, unfortunately. Yeah. So, anyway, we should probably talk a little bit about this match. Um, Yeah. Some of the spots that stood out to me is um, there was a teased Cesaro-style deadlift German from the outside back into the ring from Ibushi, which Naito reversed, teasing a tombstone on the apron, and Ibushi um, countered that. They had a bit of a back and forth on the apron, and then Abushi literally jumps up and head scissors Naito off the apron to the floor. I've literally is... written Ibushi hits the move of the century as both are running. Um, he, he hits this, this Rana from and uh, on the apron onto the outside, and yeah, it it, it looks so so clean, so great. It was it was <laughs> again. Yeah. It's why it's read from these guys. Mm-hmm. It is why I expect it was really, really good. And I mean it when I say moving the bloody century. I really yeah. think it was. Um, there's a bit of a sort of like um, do-si-do, sort of like, comp- uh, what would you call it? Sort of like the compactor? It's sort of like the... the um, yeah, yeah. So like the, the they roll through, like Ibushi is going for sort of like the compactor. They roll through. Naito looks to be going for it, but he like loses his footing. And like literally, once again, it drives Kota Ibushi right down on the back of his neck. Um, there's a poison rana from Naito, and he goes straight into a Destino, which was a really great near fall. Um, Kota Ibushi channeling his inner Shinsuke Nakamura with two Bamiyas for a near fall. There's a kick out from a sit out last ride power bomb. Um, and straight into the Kamigore from Ibushi, who pins Naito to win the match and the title in 20 minutes and 53 seconds. Yeah, uh, yeah it's a really darn good match. Great it's, ma- it's probably my favourite match of the night. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you. Um, there's, there's a bit before that where, where Naito hits Destino um, and for a two-count, for a two-count, and it's, it's the sort of bit where the crowd are completely sucked into this is the finish mm-hmm. and it wasn't. And it was, it's that kind of moment in that, uh, in that little moment, that, they, that little segment that they did where Nigel hits Destino, he goes yep. for the pin crowd. Are kind of like, this is it. One, two, and the old jump three and, Ibushi kicks out. It is, it's really good what they stuff. Obviously Naito goes for Destino again. And the rest, as they say, is history. But yeah, these two, these two are a class of their own. They're yeah. a class of their own. Really good fucking match. Really, really good. Um, we then have the Ring of Honor main event, a ha. triple threat ladder match 
for the Ring of Honor World Championship. Champion Jay Lethal defending against Marty, the villain Marty Skrull and main event Matt Taven. Hang on. It doesn't make any... Main event Matt Taven. It's like the equivalent of main event Hardcore Holly. It's Madis- just... Madison Square Taven, I believe some shirts were... Oh, fuck. Oh, no. like, my this, God. They do it... Like, they do the introductions for this match, and they literally cut to a guy in the front row who's literally there in his Madison Square Taven shirt. Oh, and he's holding doing the, up the king- oh, uh, kingdom. It's like, you fucking mark. But he's he's just there on his own, stood there, and it's, and it's again, yeah. there. He's just, and everyone else is sat down. Yeah. It's not like everyone else is stood up, like, surrounding him. He's just there, stood up on his own. He's not showing any, he's just doing this real creepy smile. Which it's a real sh- creepy smile. Which shows the level of how well this Matt Taven world <laughs> main event Matt Taven push has gone. It's, um, it's so weird. By the way, uh, Nick Aldis and Camille on commentary. Oh, like I have in my notes, NWA champion, the national treasure, Nick Aldis, is on commentary and is the best thing about this match. <laughs> he, no, no. He I'm, basically he, buries the Ring of Honor heavyweight title, by the way. He buries that title so far down. Oh, I constantly mention he's the real world's champion and sweet shot and yeah. the 10-pound. <laughs> he's right. He's right, yeah. though. But at the same time as well, throughout this match, he's like, you, you know, it, he's tremendous. He does a tremendous job of, you know, even though a ladder match isn't particularly his style, he's just basically, you know, talking about the sort of emotions that someone in this similar in this position would go through you know strategies and stuff like that as i say he was the best thing about this match and but right this match went nearly 30 minutes it went 29 minutes 35 i can tell you this much this didn't need to go that long they spent nine minutes lying on the ground waiting for oh like, like so a little rest much, five. there was so much dead fucking air like it was it was they attempted to do a WWE style ladder match, but well, no, they tried to do a WWE Money in the Bank ladder match, but then <laughs> they realised that you only got three competitors rather than seven or eight, so you can't do spots too quickly. Like case in point, there's a bit where um, Jay Lethal gets this great big massive ladder, sets it up on the outside, sets Taven up, Taven up on the table. Goes to the top of this ladder, hits a big Macho Man-style elbow, because, you know, he used to be Black Machismo, works into his gimmick. Hits this elbow on Matt Taven. Not even two minutes goes by, and Matt Taven is up, getting his own purple fucking ladder into the ring and fucking <laughs> attempts to climb and get the belt. This this wasn't... Think, think to, to put this image in people's heads, this was like your Jeff Hardy at WrestleMania just doing that swanton on, like, I think it was, like, believe... Well, Bubba, Bubba, uh, or whoever might have been in, else might have been in the TLC or a ladder match with him. Yeah. This is Jeff Hardy style ladder spot, shall we say? And and, and lethal to credit goes right through the elbow drop. Right, that's it. Both gone. He, he and makes, then walking, he makes both walking back into the bloody ring. Note, note, lethal, lethal makes somewhat of an attempt to sell it because you know he's not like. You know, he's not, like, trying to climb up the ladder lickety-split. He's making somewhat of an effort to sell the fact that he's just delivered a devastating elbow. Matt Taven was 
so hurt by this that he was able to get up, get this great big massive purple ladder out, set it up, and attempt to fucking climb it. What? What? <laughs> the thing with the purple ladder is, why wouldn't you go and get that first? Go and get it first. It's taller than all the bloody others. Just stand that. <laughs> the thing why is, does he need a purple ladder? Because <laughs> he's Matt freaking Taven. It's the same mm. with the um, Stardust, Cody Rhodes. It's yeah. When he had the polka, the polka dot. The polka dot ladder. Why? Yeah. And the, and Big Show had the the massive reinforced one where the steps that, were like five was, feet each. That was cool though. Yeah, I can imagine. But it's at least at least there was a backstory to it because I seem to yeah. remember in that match, Big Show attempted to climb a normal ladder, broke the steps, broke the steps, and then like was like, oh okay, doesn't matter because I've got an I've got my own special ladder under here. At least that fucking played into this. Not just pull like, out a random bloody purple. He just puts a yeah, Matt Taven just pulls pulls out a ladder with his own his own fucking color scheme. Not not storyline related. Yeah. He did have no. some kind of like, like with the big show thing. Yeah. Wasn't that? He just pulled out a random purple. I thought, oh, where the hell did that come from? And you know what? This was this this was the point in the night where I got really pissed off with Ian Riccoboni, this Ring of Honor commentator. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. literally every five minutes they cut to sort of like a wide shot of. Uh, of the arena, he's literally just going, "Oh my God, look at this action in front of twenty thousand in Madison Square Garden." Shut the fuck up, Michael Cole. The worst reject, thing Ring of Honor done. Cole. Worst thing Ring of Honor did in this pay for you, and several shows later. Barenzo and Cass. <laughs> Barenzo and Cass was. New, what New Japan do well is they let the wrestling tell the story yes they don't have to show massive clips or massive shots of crowds getting hyped they don't have to do that because you are watching the same thing that crowd is and Mm. you're getting sucked into it as as they are you are part of them you don't need to see or hear anything to get hyped up and i think ring of honor played too much to look look what we're doing look at the crowd look they're, they're, they're happy for Ring of Honor. Look at them all. They love it. They love Ring of Honor. They love Ring of Honor. You should too. Yeah, yeah it was. The, that's what it felt. It felt like it felt like a sales pitch. They're the, they're the equivalent of like, oh my god, we sold out Madison Square Garden, but your half of the show was shit. Yeah, but we sold out Madison <laughs> Square Garden. It's like you don't fucking get them. Jesus Christ. So yeah, um, like nobody was really over in this match, like. Marty Skrull was over to an extent, but the people weren't really that much behind him. No. Jay Lethal was sort of there. And Matt Haven, I mean, the, the, the last time I saw Matt Haven, he was in said promotion in the northwest of England in a comedy tag team with Mike and Maria Canellas. So to go from comedy tag team to main eventer... It's sort of like it's the equivalent of like when you know I haven't watched TNA at all, and then I find out that Eric Young is their world champion, and I'm like, eh, what? <laughs> He's a comedy fucking idiot for the majority of his yeah. career. What are you on about? It, it, it's 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 a funny one. It's a funny one because it's like, like one of these things just doesn't belong here. <laughs> like I. I was honestly thinking like Matt Taven was getting Baron Corbin levels of heat. When he was coming out, he had a Baron, a King Corbin crown on. I was like, dude, if you're trying to make me take you seriously as a main eventer, 
wearing a fucking crown isn't going to do it. Yeah, but they they have tried this Ring of Honor. They have tried this, and now uh, uh, Mike Bennett has been released, and Maria has been has she been she's been released as well, I believe. They're they're obviously going to reform that that comedy kingdom and whatever. But I I, I ain't fucking I, watching. I I, I struggle because guess who won this match, everybody? Um, <laughs> it's I well, understand they like, want to experiment and try something new, and the thing hopefully is go though, there, but. the thing is though. You've got Marty Skrull in the match. Like I'm not, I'm not saying that because Marty Skrull at that point in time was only he was signed with Ring of Honor, but he was only signed for like a one year deal. Yeah. There's no reason why you can't have him win your world title on the biggest stage that you're possibly ever going to be in, and then not have him drop the belt to whoever you want it to be down the line. And do you know what? It probably I've neglected to say this that there was an added thing of Nick Aldis being on commentary because obviously in the next couple of weeks after this particular event was going to be the Crockett Cup and um, Nick Aldis was defending the NWA title against Marty Skrull and one of the storylines that they had in this match was that if um, if Marty were to win the belt then they would do title for title like when you take all like the same that has been going on for a lot of the ring of honor and new japan matches which will feed into the next review that we do um but yeah as i say it was just a it was a nice touch but it was just sort of like said they never really followed on with it no yeah i know i know completely what you mean the the the, the match itself the the ladder it was a good ladder match we're not we're not poo-pooing it the, obviously not, but the, the spots were so obviously set up yes. in a way you knew. I think that they thought it's like setting up a. Oh God, how can I explain this? Like setting up a classroom for a lesson. Yes. You know, you know, you set it up. The kids sit down and they look. They see, ah, right, that's going to happen. It's like with mm-hmm. this. They led all the things out. Tables that I think um, lethal led out a, um, a a ladder on two chairs sort of halfway between the ramp and the ring. Yes. And you sort of knew again, and Taven sort of does like a running power bomb on, on the lethal, on this uh, ladder, but you knew it would come in. Yeah. And uh, there, there, there's no big sort of payoff pop spot, if you know what I mean, that, that you normally would get in a, in a, I mean, even towards the end when they were getting thrown off, it was sort of like they were just, drooping off the ladder there wasn't a big like punch or that i think didn't taven hit who does he hit with the uh the title was it lethally hit it was lethal. title? yeah he hits even that spot itself should have been uh especially for him sort of like a, a massive boo of that oh no what's gonna happen but it it wasn't it was sort of like a yeah yeah it's that's the way it's just got it this guy it wasn't yeah yeah so uh yeah matt taven won this match main eventer matt taven won their world title um a double t t a v n (laughs) we're not lying people it's on the internet yeah and and fucking oh this is when i immediately lost it with ian riccoboni he has the tumultuous cheek to call Matt Taven the real world champion. 
Oh, Nick Aldis yeah. is sat fucking right next to him. If I were Nick Aldis, I'd have turned around and gone, what the fuck are you talking about? I'd have popped him right in his face. It's like, who's, who is the real world champion? The guy who has the title that belongs to the National Wrestling Alliance or that goofy fucking belt that looks like a buffet fucking dinner platter? If anything, it buries the the, the, the Ring of Honor title more. Oh, yeah. Because it, it, it this this what happened over the course of this match, people, was that Ring of Honor title went up in that air as an, a, a quite a decent heavyweight title holder, and it got taken down, and it was like, uh, oh, the, he's got that. Oh, okay. And do you know how long so, main event? And do you know when main event level Matt Taven drops this drops the world title? I know he dropped. But when did he drop it? September. Oof. He has a 177-day reign with it. I know he held it for a, a, a while, but... Oh, come on. <laughs> you know, come on. Ring of Honor, come on. Come on. <laughs> so that is the Ring of Honor portion of the pay-per-view over and done with. Uh, luckily, luckily, though, New Japan is main eventing this uh, this this pay-per-view. So, you know, at least, at least we have that to go with. Um, so it is the main event for the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship. Switchblade Jay White's defending the belt against the Rainmaker Kazuchika Okada. Now, um, this is coming off the... Well, a, a lot has happened since the end of Okada's historic 720-day reign. Um, he's parted with Ghetto. Um, it was an amicable split. And then um, Tanahashi, Harish Tanahashi won that year's... That year's g1 tournament <clears throat> excuse me i'm losing my voice a little bit um just basically defended the opportunity his main event opportunity at wrestle kingdom uh, against okada in a match tightly contested tanahashi uh retained his briefcase um and then switchblade jay white um attacked both uh, okada and tanahashi looked as if ghetto was coming in to make the save for the baby faces but he attacked Okada, sided with uh, Jay White, and that just basically brings the six-year um, managerial stint of Ghetto being in Okada's corner to an end. Um, so it's that just basically led up to Wrestle Kingdom 13, where Jay White got the win over Okada. Uh, Harish Tanahashi won the IWGP title in the main event against Kenny Omega. And... Um, at the next show, New Beginning in Osaka on February the 11th, Jay White beat Tanahashi to capture his uh, first IWGP championship, and he became the youngest uh, non-Japanese champion at the age of 26. Um, and then the last thing, uh, how Okada got into this spot, he won the New Japan Cup, uh, defeating Michael Elgin, Mikey Nichols, uh, Will Ospreay, Tomohiro Ishii, and then Sonata in the finals of the tournament to set up this match. Um, this was the one match that I didn't make any notes on at all because I just wanted to sit back. It was a lengthy match, so I didn't really want to bog myself down too much. Um, thoughts on... I'm interested to get your thoughts on Jay White because um, he's... this At this point in his, career, in his New Japan career, he's just over a year in. And um, as, I say, as I say, early days, but there are elements that really sort of set him out from any other heel that 
is currently in wrestling at the moment. Yeah, I mean, he's like at the start of this match, he's sliding out the ring, he's biding his time, that typical heel stuff. I liked it. I, yeah. I like that. I like that old school sort of, it's sort of a Ric Flair-esque heel yeah. sort of thing that, that oozes from him, that I really like, that cocky sort of, he's got a cocky look on his face, he looks like a cocky twat, so he's going to act like a cocky twat. And it's, and an, easy, it's an easy way to get heat as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And there's a bit later on in the match as well, which I love. I'd, I'd never, I haven't seen anybody, well, no other heel that comes to mind does what Jay White sort of does with um, opponents that are about to hit their finishing move. So, like, there's, there's basically, so the Rainmaker, there's, like, the setup. So, you know, they'll have the arm twisted, they'll spin out, and then obviously pull them in for the Rainmaker clothesline. When um, Okada pushes him out to pull him back in, um, Jay White just like purposefully flops down to the floor, just like dead weights. And he's just sort of like got the cocky, smarmy. Yeah, that look. Smarmy he's look got a good, himself. he's got a real good cocky look on his face. I like yeah, it. Yeah. And he plays very, that character so it's well. It's very effective for sort of like the heel that he's portraying. Um, unfortunately, like I don't doubt Jay White. Like he's a great heel character. He's a really good fucking wrestler. But what always brings it down for me is the constant interference, distraction spots with Ghetto. Yeah. Like I noted, I noted every single one down in this match, and there's five in total. Jeez. Like, I have written just... them down, but I didn't think there was that many. It sort of takes the sting out of it all. It takes the sting out of him as a character, because I don't think he needs someone there to help him do the things that he does. No, because I don't this, think he... the the thing is like. Zack Sabre Jr., he had um, Taka Michinoku in his corner, but not once did Taka interfere in the match because he's literally just there as a coach. He's coaching mm. things, like telling him stuff on the flight. He's just basically, he does the same thing that like Paul Heyman does with Brock Lesnar in WWE. He doesn't need the interference. He's literally just there as a coach. But, you know, it, it the interference spots in New Japan are frustrating because... There's a reason why I watch New Japan is because these kind of interference spots happen way too often in your sort of wrestling that you see in in the US. Mm. Yeah. And it's that's it's a real bugbearer for me because it's like I watch Japanese wrestling to get away from this poor shit. I don't need it like being interfered with because like ultimately it just spoils Jay White's matches for me because, like, I like the amount of times that I come out of a Jay White match just going, God, that match was really good, but like the interference just sort of like soured it a little bit for me. Yeah, he doesn't need it. He really doesn't need it. No. Um, it's I fucking love Kazuchika Okada. He's oh, the man's perfect. He's, he's perfect. not as a wrestler. He's perfect. He's not flash. He's not like overly flashy. It's just the one, he is the quintessential wrestler. He makes all the little things look so crisp and so perfect. Mm. It's it's scary. I mean, if you, I mean, like, I went back and watched, like, um, back end of last year, I made an effort to go back and watch all the major matches in um, the historic 720-day reign of Okada. And... He is so adaptable, it's scary. Like, he has, he had, like, 
different. He had like matches with Tanahashi, Naito, Omega, Shibata, Suzuki. There was even one with Bad Luck Farley, and every single one of them was different because he has this amazing ability to just adapt himself. But I've I've not seen from a lot of I can't think of many other wrestlers that are. It's a similar. man that knows what. It's a man that knows what he's doing. He, he, if there was a man ever born to be a re- professional wrestler, he is so natural in everything that he does. Yeah. Like you say, he, 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 he could have a match with uh, Will Ospreay and and let's not have a match with Zack Sabre Jr. and do both styles equally perfectly and match them both on a level that is unprecedented. They, the, 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 the man gets it. The man gets it. He gets wrestling. He understands what is needed of him. He works hard. And the results are for everybody to see. Yeah. Everybody to see. Yeah, definitely. Um, I will say about this match is that it goes 32 minutes 33, which is quite a long while. Mm. And I must say that, like... Going back over this match, because I've seen it a couple of times, and I remember it being really, really good. But sort of like, I got like 15 minutes in, and I was just sort of like, you know, this is, it's fine. It's yeah. not as good as I thought it would, it, not as good as I thought it was. But, you know, it, it, it's it's a perfectly, perfectly competent main event. But then it literally gets into sort of like the last 10 minutes or so, and they just, they, they click up into a higher gear. They really do hit, click up into a higher gear. I mean, sort of like the finishing stretch where they're literally reversing each other's finishing moves, like back and forth and back and forth and back and forth was outstanding. It really, really was. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Both the main, this is, this is main event quality as main event is yeah. ever going to be. Mm-hmm. This was, sometimes you can look at uh, matches uh, and think, oh, did that really need to be the main event? That could have been the main. That should have been the main event. There was no argument here that yeah. this was rightly the main event, mm-hmm. and it is what everyone came to see. They came yeah. to see Okada win, which thankfully happened. But would you have? Would you have taken the sting out of it if White won? Possibly. But that's what good booking gets you. Yep. You, that's what good booking gets you. You pick the mm-hmm. right person to win at the right time and the, the right place. Yeah. You get the payoff. And again, New Japan did this absolutely fantastically. They know yeah. what they're doing. They know how to work their audience. It sounds a bit wrong when you say work the audience, but they know that's, what they, they they know how to cater to their fan base. Yeah, and they know what people they knew what people wanted that night was to see JY get beat. Yeah. And a card a standing tour. That's what they wanted to see. And they gave him it, but they didn't give him it in a obvious way. They no, didn't... it was it yeah. was done in a fighting way. Like um, you know, it's it's interesting you were talking in the Intercontinental title match, the um the near fall after the Destino from Naito. Uh, there's a similar one where um after multiple times of attempting, um Okada hits the Rainmaker, goes for the, goes for the pin gets a near two count and like literally the entire audience just gasps okada's facial of just sort of like jay white kicking out of the rainmaker was fantastic and then um like literally the the trading moves back and forth like um 
Jay White is able to hit the sling blade. Yeah. No, not the sling blade. Oh, what's the what's the name of his freaking finisher? I've forgotten it. Oh, forgot yeah. Um, um, uh, blade is it? Blade Runner. Blade Runner. That's blade Runner, it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Jay White hits the Blade Runner, but um, Jay White can't get the pin straight away, which is a good way of sort of like putting on Okada because he survived the Blade Runner which has literally put down pretty much everybody that's been hit with it. Yeah. But at the same time, it saves face for Jay White because he didn't go for the cover and, like, Okada didn't kick out of it. So that's another element. You're protecting both people and you're protecting a finishing move that, you know, you can always go back to. You yeah. can always build up to if you ever want someone to kick out of. Yeah. And then, as I say, like, the finishing stretch, the constant reversing of... Uh, both men trying to hit each other's finisher again uh, results in a drop kick, a spinning tombstone from Okada, and he eventually hits the Rainmaker and gets the win. Yeah, I mean, damn good main event. The end of this match was so quick; it was like bang, 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 bang. Yeah. But it, it, it again, done so well, done yeah. so so well, thoroughly entertaining from start to finish. Yeah. Um, honestly. The, probably one of the best matches I've seen in a long, long time. Uh, done rightly, booked properly. Mm-hmm. Both men in, well, Jay White's only 26. Which yep. is, that that boy's got another 15, 20 years to go. Oh yeah. Definitely. And geez, we've got lots to see, lots to see from him. Mm-hmm. And if he's doing this stuff at 26 now. Well, yeah. I mean, it's you know, it's, it's scary, sort of like the parallels of. Jay White this early in his career and Okada sort of like mm. around about the same um the, the same age they're sort of like on the, there's there's definitely talent there and you know you could see Jay White breaking out in the next five years or oh, yeah. whatsoever being really talked about as being one of the best wrestlers in the world um oh, yeah and yeah, that was pretty much the end of the pay-per-view. And obviously, with it being a Ring of Honor broadcast, after 90, just over 90 seconds after Okada wins, they quickly sign off and the pay-per-view ends, which was annoying because I'm used to sort of like the end of New Japan shows where you get the the long celebration and, you know, the victor of the main event will take the microphone and do like a big a, like a big speech for the crowd and then sign off but you know not with Ring of Honor but hey ho um, so yeah that was the G1 Supercard a very mixed bag depending on uh, which company you're uh, you're reviewing uh, Anthony <laughs> yeah. what do you think of the show overall mate amazing I really really enjoy it. it's, a, it's a five five hours 17 minutes something like that in total something um, like that yeah if you cut out the on a rumble I'd say it's just just on just a little bit over four hours yeah um again i think it's just it was just fantastic i personally sometimes find it hard to sit through a very 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 long pay-per-view find mm. it hard to sit through rest i didn't want struggle to stay in the room while this was on this kept me focused this kept me watching it it kept me interested even the little the bits where ring of honor decided they were going to be a bit uh, 
did, even them bits was even they were still gripping me and holding me onto that pay per view because it possibly because I knew what was coming, i.e. Ibushi and Naito and Okada and White. But at the end of the day, I think it was uh, I I honestly everyone go out and watch this before it becomes before you have to pay for it again. But even then, <laughs> pay pay for it. Pay for it, pay for it, pay for it. Throw money at it. Throw money at New Japan, not at Ring of Honor. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I was about to say. I think Ring of Honor will be throwing money at you at this rate. But <laughs> throw money at New Japan Wrestling. Is it New Japan World? New Japan World. The, yeah. the thing. Um, throw money at it because you are going to get your, your value. You're going to get value for money here. It works out at like seven seven pound well if you're over in the uk it works out about seven pound it's like it, it's the it, if you're over in america it's the equivalent of what you would pay for the wwe network and you get a vast like extensive library um yeah. so yeah it's for me it was a tale of two companies really um everything that ring of honor did was cringeworthingly bad <laughs> i.e the end zone cast running the women's yeah. match um and what was the other thing that was quite cringe with it oh and the uh the, the the street fight and it ranged to forgettable i.e the tag team match uh the tag title match and the ladder match and everything that new japan did ranged from good to really darn great yeah there um, wasn't a disappointment on there uh, wasn't, no. New Japan side. no there wasn't there, there wasn't. wasn't at all um and yeah, it's just a little thing on where these two companies have gone since then. Um, Ring of Honor, well, <laughs> well, I mean, after the after the mega show, that well, after the G1, <laughs> after the G1 card, um, they saw their ironically they saw their live attendance and their pay per view numbers drop dramatically. Um, the, the live attendance has dropped by thirty one percent. Oh, that's nothing. That's nothing. The pay-per-view numbers from June to September dropped a shocking 77%. Oh. So their best in the world pay-per-view, which took place in June, the end of June, did an estimated three and a half thousand buys. And then their oh. pay-per-view, their death before dishonor pay-per-view, which was in September, is estimated to have done just under 800. So there was a, there just, there just seems to be like a WCW levels worth mass exodus of fans just immediately turning oh off. My God. Yeah. I I knew it was bad. Didn't know it was that bad. Oh yeah. Marty Skill, I mean, are you going down with the ship here, pal? Well, no, because you... he's, no, he's still got the thing in uh, in the NWA. He'll be fine. They'll be absolutely uh, fine. Um, I, I hope so, for his sake. Um, t- whereas New Japan seem to have gone from sort of like, you know, strength to strength. Um, you know, they, they they still put on quality quality throughout the year, which, um, you know, we'll hopefully see in some, uh, some future episodes. Um, culminating in a, uh, a strategy for Wrestle Kingdom 14, which even WWE themselves seem to uh, seem to follow suit with of splitting the big major show over two separate days. Uh, but we are getting ahead of ourselves. Um, yeah, that is the that is the end of our G1 Supercard review. Um, I'm thinking 
next on the plate because um with the lads from red and the lost art of wrestling and you know they have their their own specific uh, wrestling interests we're gonna be having a look at a event which happened a couple of weeks after this show that we've just talked about we're going to be having a look at the crockett cup because uh, we do have some nwa fans uh in our little social group and i thought it would be nice to check out a show that um i haven't seen before but i am aware that it has a event um a main event of nick aldis versus marty skull for the nwa title so that'll be very interesting to watch Absolutely, absolutely. By the way, you made us sound so made us sound so lonely when you said a little circle of friends, <laughs> <laughs> like we all gather online. It's like these secret, all these secret meetings, just all just does that. Yes, we don't like everybody else out there. <laughs> Everyone has their secret secret circle of friends. It's you, can, you know, you, yeah, you can only hear us while listening to this podcast. We wouldn't talk to <laughs> any of you if we saw you on the street. No, I'm joking. We would, we would. <laughs> I might yeah. not, but everyone else would. <laughs> so yeah, that'll be next time on the um, Lost Art of Wrestling and WrestleBox crossover. Uh, Anthony, I just want to say thank you very much for uh, being with me and just uh, going through the show. Otherwise, it would probably have just been me on my own uh, talking to the lonesome. <laughs> it's been an honour and an absolute pleasure, my friend. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, will we see you for the uh, the Crockett Cup, do you reckon? Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. fantastic. It's not like I'm doing anything soon, is it? <laughs> Very true, very true. Well, uh, ladies and gent- gentlemen, um, I'm not very good at plugs, so uh, you know that I'd. This, knowing who is doing the editing for this, they will probably do all the necessary plugs for all the podcasts that we are featured on, that we are available on, uh, in the link links down in the description of where this episode is posted um so next until next time i've been mr lewis ogden and i've been the real not daz anthony dark and we'll see you next time for the crockett court <laughs> <laughs>